And good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be. Around this rotating globe, welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, where we consider things that other people reject out of hand as impossible. And we're going to go through several impossible things before breakfast, as the... uh, White Queen said in Alice in Wonderland. So don't go anywhere. Don't touch that dial because the next three hours is going to take you on a trip that um, you're going to want to kind of pay attention to. This is kind of an extraterrestrial 4th of July weekend. Tomorrow uh, I'm having Steve Bassett to give us a kind of a rundown on uh, what's going on with the UAP studies and There's some new news on the NASA front, which we'll be talking about with Steve. Stephen, for many, many years, has not wanted to really touch the idea that uh, NASA was involved in the extraterrestrial game. But now that they have joined the party, uh, voluntarily lifted up their hand and said, can we can we play, too? And they've opened up their own study of the uh, new uh, coin of the realm, UAP. Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, better known as UFOs. Um, We're going to see how open Stephen is to discussing artifacts. And we're going to also be joined by a couple of other people tomorrow night. Barbara Honiger is going to be with us. Remember, she was a senior policy advisor in the Reagan White House. And Reagan actually set up a space commission on which a friend of mine, uh, David Webb, Uh, got a seat at the table, and that ushered in all kinds of interesting political machinations in Washington. And then because I wanted to uh, take a look at this from a much higher uh, perspective, uh, Georgia Lambert is also going to join us. So tomorrow night is going to be a very unusual 4th of July preview, and I guarantee you we're going to get into some areas that's going to um, surprise a lot of people. That's all I can say. Well, tonight is a kind of a foreshadowing of tomorrow night because we're, as the lawyers say, we're laying foundation. So um, kick back. Don't touch the dial. Listen for the next three hours. And uh, frankly, I think you're going to learn something very, very intriguing, if not shocking. <clears throat> and I'm kind of obliquely referring to some of the things that uh, Morningstar wants to talk about. Oh, Saints Preservus, as my grandmother once said and then said again and again and again. So uh, for those of you who are new to the show, and I know we have a lot of new listeners uh, after I was on coast uh, a couple, three weeks ago, um, here's what you do. You're listening on a device. You want to make sure that device can reach the Internet, uh, which means you want to go to theothersideofmidnight.com, theothersideofmidnight.com. And you click on tonight's banner, which says rather remarkably, I mean, I, uh, we are here, um, has curiosity finally discovered biological proof of ancient life on Mars with that remarkable uh, postcard panorama from the Curiosity mission as it was kind of beginning to uh, survey a place called Murray Buttes which is named after Bruce Murray, who was a uh, longtime, very 
very long ago friend of mine. Um, he was a planetary scientist. He and Carl Sagan created the Planetary Society together, and Bruce went on to become director of JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, for many years. And uh, so the buttes on Mars at Gale are named after Bruce. Bit of trivia. Anyway, you click on that banner. That takes you to tonight's guest page. And right under that banner on the guest page, you'll see where it says Fast Links to Items. Click on my name. This is a kind of a shortcut, which is spaced periodically down the pages. So you don't have to scroll. I know some of us like scrolling. We will not mention names, but um, this is faster and it's a lot more accurate. Anyway, if, if you have arrived at my items, item number one, uh, we're monitoring now, uh, kind of even ahead of the web telescope commissioning and, and deployment, we're monitoring the space launch system, the Artemis uh, mission's first rocket, which will go to the moon probably sometime in August. The uh, launch date has not been set. So if you want the latest results on what NASA is doing with Artemis, with the um, unmanned uh, lunar orbit test coming up in about a month and a half. You go there. That's the uh, Artemis blog. And there's some other items on that blog that you might want to take a look at. This past week, last Tuesday, coming up a week, uh, seven days on on Tuesday this coming, and six days on Monday, July 4th, the holiday. There is a little unmanned spacecraft about the size of a microwave weighing about 55 pounds, which is en route tonight in a very, very interesting orbit to the moon. And it's a very cheap, 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 cheap orbit. It's not like, you know, you launch and three days later you're there like with Apollo. This is going to take this little spacecraft. Again, it's what's called in the trade a CubeSat, except this is 12 CubeSats all smooshed together. They're modular, so if you want a bigger private spacecraft, um, you put more modules together. This was built and designed, not in that order, by a, a company north of me in Colorado called Advanced Space. Um, NASA paid Advanced Space about $30 million beginning in 2019 to create an unmanned 55-pound spacecraft which will get into this unique orbit around the moon that in a couple, three years, the, un, the, the, the gateway, the kind of space station orbiting the moon that NASA's planning following its uh, uh, Artemis unmanned missions, that gateway space station will follow this very remarkable orbit and then wind up in this what's called a almost rectilinear halo orbit around the moon, meaning that it's going backwards to the way normal orbits work. And in this very strange tilted orbit, which is going to be about 90 degrees to the um, equator of the moon, it's going to take them seven days to orbit once, seven being important, of course. It's a little test module, pound microwave oven-sized unmanned spacecraft carrying some very sophisticated radio instrumentation designed to probe the orbit, the planned orbit 
of the Gateway Space Station to frankly see if it's stable. And this is going to entrain a whole lot of additional conversation. So by next weekend, next Saturday, when the mission is firmly committed after the last uh, engine burn in these uh, uh, six mid-course corrections that it carries out en route to this orbit, uh, it will then embark on a several-month-long, very leisurely trip between kind of intermediate Earth orbit and its final lunar orbit. It will not arrive in that orbit and be inserted into this rectilinear halo orbit until November 19th. So between next week and November 19th, it will be cruising kind of the moving gravitational fields of the Earth, the Moon, and the Sun as we all do this three-body dance as the Earth orbits the Sun and the Moon orbits both the Sun and the Earth. That's another long discussion at some point. The niceties of celestial mechanics. Anyway, the spacecraft, 55-bound spacecraft, in addition to the radio instrumentation, which will allow the uh, uh, tracking facilities to gauge exactly where it is in orbit, just as they're going to be doing with the, the Gateway Space Station when that arrives in a couple of years. But it also carries some other experiments. And next week, we were going to have a very interesting conversation about those experiments and why, as a matter of fact, be relevant to our conversation tonight, i.e. looking at extraterrestrial presence in the solar system. So that's for next week. The other thing you want to do is you want to watch the uh, uh, Artemis blog for when they make the decision after they do a couple of seal replacements and a couple of other things. They just have what they call a uh, wet dress rehearsal, meaning they load the rocket with propellants. They count it down to within a few seconds of T minus zero. Then they stop everything. They drain the propellants. Then they move this enormous moon rocket back to the vehicle assembly building. They started at about 4.30 a.m. Eastern time this morning. That's about 2.30 a.m. my time. And it didn't arrive until just like a couple of hours ago because it moves literally at about one mile per hour. That's an enormous crawler. I was able to actually uh, inspect it and get a ride in it when I was covering Apollo. It's been converted and upgraded and refurbished and had all kinds of spiffy things done to it between the time of the Apollo Saturn V's and the Artemis program's space launch system vehicles. But essentially, its job is the same. It's to carry the rocket out to the pad, let it lift off, then trundle back to the vertical assembly building for the next rocket. And uh, that is part of what happened this morning. Now, item number two on the same page, right below it. As you know, we've been uh, updating you on the Webb uh, Space Telescope commissioning. Uh, it got into the halo orbit a million miles behind the Earth, it was launched black last December on, on uh, Christmas Day of 2021. Um, and all this time, after arriving on station, they've been cooling it down, turning on instruments, checking everything. If you click that link, you'll see where we are. Now, they're planning a big, big coming out party on the 12th 
of July, which is one week and kind of a couple days from now. And we're going to obviously uh, uh, two weeks from now be able to talk about that. It, it won't be ready for the next weekend shows, but we're promised some absolutely spectacular imaging from Webb. Remember, it has a 21-inch wide primary mirror. 21, I'm sorry, did I say inches? I meant feet. 21 feet. <laughs> I'm thinking of the uh, old 200-inch, which is uh, 16 feet, if you want to do the math. So this is bigger than any telescope uh, on Earth, save the um, uh, two twins sitting there in Hawaii. Um, so, But it's certainly by far the biggest telescope ever put into space, and we're expecting some astonishing things. Now, as part of um, what we're going to talk about tonight, this past week, um, the news agencies reported something very, very uh, droll, but to me, extraordinarily important and even dramatic. Um, Item number three and four are linked together. Item three is a news story, basically out of Science Magazine, which talks about what the Curiosity rover has done and paper that was written and published pursuant to its activities. The uh, actual paper from the National Academy of Sciences is listed in item number four. So you click on that link below that title and it will take you directly to the peer-reviewed paper, which, by the way, is written in remarkably well-done English, so it's understandable for just about anybody. This is going to be the kind of baseline of our discussion tonight, because while we're looking at extraterrestrial architecture and machines and broken furniture and bowls and, and ruins and everything attributable to an incredibly advanced high-tech civilization, as a matter of fact, more than one on Mars, several clearly discernible different epics now of this series of civilizations, NASA's still stuck back in what I would call Emily Dickinson land. What do I mean by that? Well, for those of you who are new to the show, one of my favorite poets was Emily Dickinson, who wrote from New England um, in the uh, uh, 19th century, there uh, just outside Boston. And one of her most interesting lines from her poetry goes something like, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Meaning you don't come right out with it. You don't blurt it out. You kind of, in that Victorian era, you kind of dance around the subject. So many times you will hear me talk about Emily Dickinson comparisons or uh, this or that person or individual or institution is doing Emily Dickinson again, telling the truth, maybe, and definitely telling it slant, definitely. Well, NASA did this back in January when they submitted this paper to the National Academy of Sciences, and it basically rolled by without a flicker, with nobody in the media even noticing, and they kind of all woke up uh, about a week ago and said, oh my God, look at what NASA did. Because NASA, in their very indirect roundabout uh, Emily Dickinson fashion, they have found isotopic evidence that if they'd found it here on Earth, this is very important, 
if they'd found this carbon isotopic signature on Earth, there would be little quibbling about whether they'd found another region in their geological studies of ancient life on Earth. Probably bacterial, microbial, uh, maybe blue-green algae, whatever, depending upon the age of the sediments in which they found this excess of carbon-12. On Mars, the rules are different. Why? I mean, really, why? Because Mars is another planet. Mars is another planet in the same solar system as the Earth. Mars is another planet in the same galaxy as the Earth. Mars is another planet in the same universe. In other words, why do you change the rules if science is supposed to be strictly the facts, man, nothing but the facts? Why do you change the rules of the game just because your results come from Mars? That gets back to one of Sagan's most infamous and frankly destructive comments that he ever made, which was extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence, which of course is totally, totally, totally wacko and totally non-scientific. Why would you bring an emotional content to the assessment of evidence when you should simply rely on the evidence itself? Again, NASA's Curiosity rover back in January um, found evidence in their drilling, in their sampling, in their <clears throat> chemical analysis in the spacecraft of an excess of the kind of carbon that 99 times out of 100 here on Earth is the direct result of biology. Now, it isn't, you know, big guys. It isn't humans. It isn't animals. It isn't lions and tigers and bears. It's microbes. But microbes are the foundation of ecosystems on Earth. So the idea that you land a spacecraft specifically looking for evidence of past life on Mars, you drill down, you do the analysis, you wait like a year, you know, I mean, uh, Curiosity was, was uh, in this location doing the drilling back in 2012. So it's not exactly that they've had a rush to judgment. Ten years, this story, this result has been in the making, and they finally submitted the paper in, I believe, January, and the press finally gets wind of it now, and what they found, again, if they'd found it on Earth, there'd be little quibbling that they had found the isotopic signatures that we've all been waiting for of ancient life on Mars. But, of course, that's not the way NASA plays the game. They are stalling. They are playing for time. They are looking around the room, trying to think, will something else save us? Because it's obvious that the National Aeronautics and Space Administration does not want ever to announce its found life anywhere but here on Earth. I mean, after 50 years, given all the evidence that we know is out there, <clears throat> they will not say the words. The closest they have come so far is the title of the paper, Depleted Carbon Isotope Compositions Observed at Gale Crater, Mars. It's the press looking at the body of the paper itself that then came up with the headline in item number three. Because again, on Earth, this reading would mean curiosity 
had found evidence of ancient life on Mars. So since we know there's architecture and machines and ruins and God knows what else, with this as foundation, we now have the second data point that our independent research needs to constantly go forward because it would have been very embarrassing to have artifacts without microbial carbon evidence. But you can have microbial life on a planet and not have advanced beings building, you know, uh, superhighways and uh, high rises and huge arcologies and all that kind of thing. Well, we've got the best of both worlds because we've got the architecture. NASA's got the carbon isotope data. You put them together. Tonight, it's a lead pipe cinch that what we're looking at, boys and girls, for the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 plus years since I started looking seriously at Sidonia. It's all real because, again, the science should proceed regardless of which planet you happen to be looking at. And when you read the paper, you'll find the extraordinary, totally bizarre lengths that they're going to to avoid committing to, well, guys, we found it, including fairy dust from outer space that is heavily saturated with carbon-12 and some kind of weird chemistry involving the atmosphere so the rain in Spain falls mainly on the upper surfaces and nowhere else. And you'll find out what that means when you read the paper. So bottom line, tonight we have another very strong, very dramatic data point that says that we, the independent scientists outside the agency, are doing science and NASA is off spending all our money doing something else. Because if you won't claim in a published paper the actual truth of what you found, it's like, what's the point? Speaking of NASA, um, has anybody noticed this week this weird kind of uh, internet surge of interest and semi-hysteria around the famous moon crash? Remember, back in March, uh, actually before March, uh, NASA came forward and said that tracking data indicated that some object, likely a spent upper stage of a rocket, was going to impact the moon on the far side somewhere around the beginning of March. Well, it happened on the 4th of March, and it happened out of sight of Earth. So the only uh, assets that we could bring to bear, when I say we, I'm talking about the American taxpayer-supported NASA unmanned spacecraft lunar reconnaissance orbiter, LRO was tasked with finding the location. They had an impact point within a plus or minus factor, very small, because these trajectory calculations are really, really good when you have long you know, weeks of, of acquiring data. And they were able to finally find the impact site. They took pictures of it with LRO, and thereby a mystery was born. Now, we have photographed, and again, when I say we, NASA, through LRO and other space missions, something like 47 impacts on the moon by various pieces of earthly hardware, rocket stages, bent spacecraft, 
European spacecraft, Japanese spacecraft. I mean, when their when their missions are ended, the quickest way to make sure that uh, uh, a, a errant spacecraft doesn't run into something else or its radio signals interfere with other transmissions because there's limited bandwidth allocated in the spectrum for these uh, long-range deep space experiments. When you when you get rid of a old spacecraft that no longer is functioning, you clear the air for a new generation, a new spacecraft to use the same communications frequencies. So that's what they did. They looked for a crater just like all the other 47 craters. And lo and behold, if you look at item number five, and actually you can click on it and it gets much bigger. They found not one crater, but two, what they call a doublet side by side. Now, all rocket bodies basically create one crater. When in 2009, NASA sent the so-called lacrosse mission to observe uh, ice and water and whatever ejected by a man-made crater, they used the upper stage centaur as the uh, mass slamming into the moon at something like 5,000 miles an hour to basically kick up the dust so it would reach sunlight and they could spectroscopically analyze it. And it created a rather large hole, something like 30 feet in diameter, something like that. Anyway, so everyone expected that when NASA photographed the mysterious rocket body impacting on the far side of the moon, there'd be a nice hole. No, there are two. And what's really weird, NASA gave out very precise measurements and one of them, you ready for this? One of them they announced proudly is 19.5 yards wide. The other one is slightly smaller, about 17 and a half yards. 19.5 yards wide. Well, well, well. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Isn't that special, as Church Lady would want to say? Well, things got weirder because right away there was this problem of why were there two craters? Usually what causes the crater, of course, is the kinetic energy of the rocket you know, stage, empty, slamming into the moon uh, at, in some attitude where the engines are the heaviest. I mean, the rest of the stage is merely light tanking, so it weighs nothing. It's the engines that do the damage on the impact. Well, you get one crater because you've got one big center of mass, and it's the back of the vehicle. In this case, the object looks like it may have been a dumbbell, like a barbell with a thing in the middle and two heavy masses on both ends. What kind of rocket body has anybody ever designed, let alone flown, in the history of the entire space program from Earth that would create an impact crater that looks like this? I mean, come on. Now, initially, remember that when they first spotted this thing, uh, somebody early on said, well, it looks like it's a upper stage, a second stage from one of the uh, SpaceX launches. And then there's more calculations, and uh, Musk joined in and said, nope, it's not ours. And he put out some calculations showing, no, it could not be the upper stage of a Falcon 9 sending something into an extended Earth orbit. So then attention focused on the Chinese. 
and their missions. And after a while, like a week or two, the Chinese said, no, 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 it's not ours. Our mission so-and-so, I forget the number, safely re-entered over the Pacific and is no longer out there. And it certainly couldn't be that. So when this crash occurred on March 4th on the far side, and then LRO got the close-up imaging that NASA put out a few days ago, nobody, and I mean nobody, to this point has said a word about why this thing is important to them and who may in fact have launched it. So tonight we are sitting on a mystery and I will hopefully answer the mystery when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland and don't touch that dial because if you do, you'll miss the answer to the mystery of the crash on the moon. We'll be right back. The side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Thank you. 
welcome back everyone on this Saturday night, July 2nd, 2022, two days before the 246th anniversary of the birth of the United States of America. Okay, the mystery crash on the moon. Everybody's looked at this crater. You want to go back to the other side of midnight and look at that picture. Everybody's looked at this double crater and they simply are baffled. It doesn't conform to any, any known signature of any rocket crash we've ever had in the entire history of the space program. So let me provide a possible answer, and you're not going to like the answer, but it's in the data. It's implicit in the data. Look at the three photographs I've arrayed on the other side of midnight with succeeding resolution Finally, so we're kind of at the resolution limit. What do you see in the bottom of the second crater? I mean, you shouldn't see anything. When something strikes the moon at 5,000 miles per hour, if it has any significant mass, it creates the equivalent of several tons of TNT, an explosion equivalent which blasts out crater. There should be nothing there. Instead, if you look on the right, you'll see there's a three-dimensional object, a cylindrical object, rounded on the top, flat on the bottom, with a shadow sitting in that crater, suspended in space and time like no physical object should possibly be located on the moon. So let me give you a possible explanation for what I think we're seeing. Is it possible that we're seeing a demonstration of such extraordinary godlike power by some extraterrestrial entity that they literally, as a demo, wound up crashing an object on the moon, which to earthbound radar looked like a like a rocket body, because you can't see the details with, with a radar pulse, it's just a, 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 a you know, basically a blip on a screen. But when it crashed, nothing happened to it because it was surrounded by something that current terrestrial science has no way of A, figuring out and B, duplicating, i.e. a force field. So literally, I mean, we're talking out of Star Trek and Star Wars here, they literally, again, in this hypothesis and as far as it sounds, somebody decided to do this as a demonstration. This is what we're capable of. Do you really want to tug on Superman's cape? Now, I know that's an outrageous theory, but any other competing scientific theory has to do just one little thing. All they have to do is explain the presence of that obviously solid cylindrical body with a rounded nose cone and a three-dimensional shadow sitting in the bottom of the second crater, which should not by any physics that we think we know be there, but it is. And given that I've been saying for several years now that we're in some kind of interplanetary war and COVID-19 was part of what they've given us, and a lot of other strange things that go bump in the night are part of the fact that our leadership is busily, busily trying to keep us from knowing that we're involved 
in an interplanetary war, if someone was to demonstrate overwhelming superiority, how would you go about doing it? I mean, if you blow away a terrestrial city, then everybody knows. What if it's in the interest of the ETs to also keep most of us in the dark? How do you make inroads with the elite, with those you're in conversation with, that you're in negotiations with, without giving the entire game away? Well, obviously, you set up a demonstration just like was proposed back in 1945 when the physicists at uh, Los Alamos finally brought to President Truman, uh, who took over as vice president uh, literally within hours of FDR dying, and it turned out he knew nothing, zero, of the Manhattan Project. He had not been read in. FDR had kept him in the dark, even though FDR knew he was not long for this world. So the briefers basically told Truman, we've got this incredible weapon. We can destroy cities in a flash. You have two choices. We either use it in war. In other words, we drop the weapon on Japan. Or we set up a a suitable demonstration that basically makes clear that we have this extraordinary power and they have no defense. And discussions went on for many, many weeks, I am told. And the final result was Truman decided to attack Japan because if he set up a demo and the atom bomb failed, it would be even worse than if it succeeded on a target on the home island of Japan itself. That, at least, is the reasoning that history has given us. I frankly think there were some other things involved, but that's another show. So are we looking at this mysterious crash where nobody opens up that they've done it? And if they did, would we believe them? Because no terrestrial technology can possibly survive intact as a, you know, almost uh, uh, 40-foot-long upper stage lying there in pristine fashion in the bottom of a crater when it should have been smashed to billions of little shiny bits escaping across the lunar surface from a very bright hole. The floor is open for discussion. Tonight we Richard? Have, hang on, hang on. Let me introduce everybody. Okay. All right? Yeah. We've got Robert Morningstar. We have our friend from Britain, Ruggiero. We've got uh, you, Ron, Ron Gerbron, our yeah. resident generalist. We've got Keith Morgan, who uh, is our IT expert and also has done some amazing work at Sidonia. Go read his Sidonia paper, The Morgan Curve. Have I missed anybody? Okay, Ron, you had something you wanted to add to my potentially absolutely far out explanation. Yes, yes. I I would like to add some uh, extra confusion to that uh, brilliant dissertation. The uh, first off, the uh, hanging in the air thing, uh, that sounds like a docking web, which was something out of Farscape, which, of course, is one of those shows that very few people saw. What do you mean hanging in the air? Well, you said it was so it was caught right before it hit the ground so that it didn't fall in it. No, uh, no, 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 I, no, no, pale face. I didn't say that at all. I said it's protected oh. by a force field, and in the impact, it created the crater, and it's untouched. It's unscathed. Okay. It's just lying there, 
as evidence that they have shields and we don't. And you know who wins in a war when one side can hide behind a shield. Right, right. Okay, well, the docking web was a force field, but that's all right. Uh, I, I misunderstood. However, uh, here's a wrinkle. Uh, there is some chatter that what was uh, what the may have been going on was a it was in fact the most likely suspect the Chinese who have denied it and the reason they were denying it is that their space program has been some might call it uh, presumptuous you know they've been doing stuff all at once remember they sent something to Mars and so they sent a uh, they sent an orbiter a lander and a rover all at once first time boom and uh, they see how it would work out. Well, in the case of this, they may have been sending or testing a, uh, uh, a man-carrying craft complete with a lander, big heavy lander. And that was the other stage that may have separated and created the other crater. Going to land on the far side of the moon, which is where they want to poke around looking for things, uh, with... Uh, people and equipment and everything else. Well, the stuff now that on, would hang on, hang on. The stuff on the far yeah. side is much better preserved than the stuff on the near side, as you're going to find out when Artemis gets to the South Pole at some point. But see right. that, that you're you're completely ignoring the obvious. I do not think the Chinese have a way of keeping upper stages from flying into a trillion little bergy bits when they impact the moon at five thousand miles an hour. Nobody does. Well, that. May- in mainstream physics, I'm, nobody. Yeah. If the Chinese have screens, then Taiwan is gone. You know, the Chicoms yeah. will be landing in San Francisco in five hours, and everyone's going to have to learn to speak Chinese, who isn't Robert Morningstar, who already does. In other words, your proposal is silly. I don't know well, my proposal. It's just more. No, because you have to ignore the fact that there is an object a structured artificial object lying at the bottom of a crater where it cannot be in your well, it doesn't countermand what you said it's uh, it doesn't countermand your uh theory there it's just a uh something that would indicate why there would have been more mass involved in the thing that crashed but that doesn't explain it, the, it doesn't explain this obviously intact object lying in the in the bottom of crater number number two no robert, it does not robert go ahead <laughs> Let me try to give you an alternative explanation. I, I side with Ron that this may be a secret Chinese uh, rocket because yeah. I've just, I just blown up this image to gigantic proportions. You know, if you uh, hold the control button down and, the, and roll the wheel, I've just blown it up to gigantic proportions. And there's another thing that perhaps has been missed. In the center between these two quote-unquote craters, there is a pit dug out. The shadow of this object is being cast into that pit. And what I see is a failed attempt to land with a very powerful rocket, kind of like the way that Elon Musk lands on, uh, on his tail, shades of Rocky Jones Space Ranger. I always dreamed of seeing that kind of a landing, and Musk did it. I think the Chinese may have tried to do it. If you blow this thing up, as I've just said, hold the control button down and roll the wheel and make it really big, you'll see that the barbell in the center, that's a pit. I think the thing tried to break its uh, fall with a very powerful rocket, 
it landed and fell over. Remember Elon Musk's first attempts to do it when he melted the um, the landing gear and the thing toppled over? Yeah, I saw all of them. That's when George yeah. Nori said to me, oh, dramatically one night I'm on coast and I'm talking about this as the coming revolution for space travel. And, you know, George is watching this rocket tip over and he says, ah, he'll never do it. And I said, what? Of course he'll do it. Every yeah. technology has growing pains. And now he's got, what, 50, 100 successful returns right. of, of the first stage. But see, if, if that was what we're seeing, how do you two craters? The blast of the landing, the jet, the uh, rocket blast, attempting to land, blowing out sideways in two directions, creating symmetrical. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. We have dozens, well, hundreds, thousands of double craters caused by meteors all over the solar system. We've looked at them very closely. What happens is that one typically arrives just a few seconds before the other because they're not exactly at 90 degrees to the impact because they're rotating. They're like a barbell, except there's no rod in the middle. They're in orbit around each other. Hang on, hang on. And so they hit almost simultaneously. The one that hits first creates the crater. The one that hits second creates another crater right next to it and creates a wall between that crater and the first crater. So that's the so-called separation you're seeing from the double impact. But nothing can survive of earthly technology of 5,000 mile an hour impact. Nothing. If it's breaking its fall with a rocket. You would not have have the rocket body slamming down next to where you're landing. That would be typically... What if it landed like Musk's uh, first landings and just toppled over? But the other thing is, again... But you wouldn't get a double crater. You can get an idea of the shape of this object by looking at the shadow that it's casting. And it does have a very interesting aerodynamic shape. It does. It's, it's, got a, it's got a blunt nose. It's got a wide body. Got a flat, it looks like a rocket, but it can't be a rocket because it would have been smashed to bits. So it looks like a rocket. Yep. It created a double crater. I'm telling you the fact that nobody's owned up to it. We know the Chinese want to go to the moon. Hell, they sent um, uh, Chang 5 to the far side of the moon, picked up samples and brought them back and analyzed them under very interesting circumstances. So it's not like they're shy about what they're doing on the moon. But President Kennedy just whispered to me and he said, <laughs> success yeah. has a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan. <laughs> I think that's what we're looking at here. Somebody yeah, doesn't, I, doesn't want to I see you guys are just waving your hands and what, saying the laws of physics don't apply. The laws no, of no, physics no, no, do no. apply. No, I, I, wait a minute. I, I think, I think uh, Robert's... Uh, Proposal that there were rockets in it that got involved uh, is, is fairly plausible because I could believe the Chinese does someone, would try to do that. Does, some, does someone have a calculator out there? I don't have one in front of me, okay? Someone, Robert, do you have a calculator? Keith, do yeah. you have a calculator? Okay? Yeah. Remember, the tip-off here is one of the craters is very proudly boasted to be 19.5 yards in diameter. Mm-hmm. Why that number? Come on. And the, get your and, attention. And, and the other, and the other is, and the other is, no, all the, all the hidden secret physics, this is the number. It's not Hoagland. It's everything that you've been kept from for the last 50, 100, 200 years. So you yeah. add those together, 19.5 and 17.5, right? 
Keith, what, what's the total? Someone doing a calculation? Please. 37. Oh, 37. 37, yeah. Okay, that's 37 yards times three. Okay, what's that? 111. 111. Why is 111 important? Because 11 and any 1111111 is 19.47 mathematically. I've proven that in previous years. This is all a setup, but it's not by any earthly or Chinese idiots. It's someone out there, the breakaways, proving to a disbelieving military, yeah, we can wipe your nose on Sunday and take you out to, to whatever on Monday and not even muss a hair. Because you would have to have a rocket that would create a crater 111 feet across? What the hell? The moon has only one-sixth no. gravity. You don't I didn't say that it didn't crash and make a big mess, and that would but probably be the heavy But then it would not stuff. have survived. It would not survive as an intact object that's obviously cylindrical, cone-shaped, rocket-shaped, etc., lying there like nothing ever happened. That's in the other crater. They're together, I, side by side. They're within 111 I'll, feet of each other. All right. Yeah, but there's nothing. Is there anything in the second crater? No. What, the second okay. Crater the mystery is why is there something in the first crater? Because the first crater was not explosive. The what hit there was not explosive. Then, it then, exploded. Then, it then, broke then, apart. Then, the other one then, had a bunch of volatile stuff in it and blew up. Then what? Making create, a bigger crater. Then what created the second crater? The one that has nothing in the bottom. The explosion of the lander and return vehicle combo. No, you're seeing possible. it lying there. In your theory, you're seeing it lying on its side in the bottom of that crater. Nothing exploded. It's intact. Actually, there is something in the first crater. There are, you're there are a, two you're beyond the limits of resolution. Sorry, no, guys. No, no. Yes. Just look it up. I've I, got I have. Yeah. That's noise. There, that is noise. Yeah. There's a level you're beyond which you're not seeing what's there. Could settle this if we had a big enough computer. You realize the original images from the LRO are staggeringly large, and so they could. We just can't. Let, we just can't. We can't even download them. Much well, we speak to a very large audience. If there's somebody out yeah. there who wants to slip us an image or do some processing and slip us a processed image, the LRO yeah. data is supposedly public. You can go to the LRO mm -hmm. website, download it. It's several gigabytes, I think, for one of these images. Um, mm. But I'm telling you, the presence of an object, a structured object that looks suspiciously like a rocket in that second crater cannot be because the combined width is 111 feet, which goes back to the 19.5. It's a recursive, redundant message. And what's the message? It's we got the physics and you don't. Don't tug on Superman's cape. Yeah. Remember what my first impression when uh, we saw these pictures? My first impression was that rockets that impact the moon make circular craters, and these, this is a doublet. And this is more reminiscent of artillery than uh, a rocket crash. No, it's not. Because, oh, yes, it is. Because it impact velocity on the moon, counting orbital velocity around the sun and the escape velocity of the moon, and the gravitational attraction of the Earth, remember it's an Earth-Moon system, you wind up 
slamming into the moon at 5,000 miles per, per hour. I don't mm-hmm. think, don't remember how many feet per second that is, but it destroys everything. There's nothing but little bits left. In fact, a lot of it goes into incandescence as a plasma. The kinetic energy, which is calculable for any given mass, goes up as the square of the velocity. So, no, well, this is a genuine... This is what a, if the original shape involved two huge spherical structures in front of this rocket as the tail section? You can add any complication to the model you want. You still don't make it. Nothing should be there. There is something there that cannot be created from Earth. Therefore, <clears throat> Sherlock Holmes' logic, it's not from Earth. And if we are in a war... And I, do I don't not, think and, and, and I do not believe that Donald Trump went scampering across Lafayette Park, having the Secret Service and the Army clear oh, that Richard, square. Hang on, Donald Trump clear, out of here. Hang on, no, because it's very, it's very, it's very, it's, very, know, it's, it's guys, it's my show. Thank you. you know, it's, it's your show. It's, it's very listen. germane. If you'll listen, I'll tell you why it's germane. From the get-go. This is not the impact of the beast into the moon. Yes. Okay, Donald Trump has nothing to do he with it. He most this. certainly does. Most certainly does. Oh, are you going to tell me he grabbed the steering wheel and all that? Why don't you be quiet and let me finish, okay? Okay, Thank you. That's what courteous people who respect each other do. Thank you. So, hmm. so I've heard. several years ago, Trump, under circumstances that I found bizarre at the time, which were attributed to his ego which I didn't believe for a nanosecond, used all authority to, on a rapid timetable, eliminate uh, protesters and anyone from Lafayette Park so he could walk across with his top cabinet and the joint, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff dressed in military gear, in uniform, to stand in front of St. John's Church, hold up the Bible, upside down and mutter a few platitudes my thinking all along was this was a required signal of the president of the united states by whoever upstairs we are at war with and it basically was an accession of some point and the upside down bible was meant like an upside down flag to signal that trump was doing this under duress he did not want to be there he had to be there so he signaled with an upside down bible like nobody knows how to hold a bible and of course he was ridiculed he was you know pilloried he was made a fool of again and again and again when in fact he used in his own terminology repeatedly when covid suddenly erupted the phrase the invisible war the invisible war now most people took it to be that viruses are invisible. What if, in fact, he was making a larger Emily Dickinson point that we're involved in an invisible war and he could only communicate this to those that knew through symbols and codes and the upside-down Bible, and I believe that this is part of that secret agenda and secret reality. We are at war, and nobody wants to tell us. I agree that we're at war. Extraterrestrially. Anything to do with the upside down Bible and that incident at the park. Okay. Okay, Your your mileage your mileage may vary. 
Okay. Well, apparently my, my mileage varies too. I don't think Trump's germane to this. Okay. Anyway, okay. I think we have to get better pictures. I think that uh, it is possible that this thing had a different shape. It is possible that it could have had two globular structures ahead of this tail section. The globular structure struck and made those craters, and the tail section survived. At 5,000 miles per hour. Yes, at 5,000 yeah. miles per hour, because the two globular structures broke the impact for the for The, the Russians have built launch vehicles that had that used spherical fuel tanks. They look, they're rather goofy-looking rockets, but they've launched a lot of those. Yeah. See, you guys are completely, obviously, deliberately ignoring the 19.5 redundancy. That's, no, that's physics. it fits right in. That's it fits it. right in there. No, it doesn't. You can't determine the size of an impact crater unless you carefully work out the mass, the velocity, and all that. It's got to be part of the equation. A random impact due to solar forces and a spent rocket booster, even a failed landing, would not create a double signature. I, I, I wondered why the other crater was smaller. I didn't have the time to do the addition. You tell me now it's 111 feet. Well, 11, 11, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, it's all the mathematical code for 19.5, which is the code for hyperdimensional physics, which lets you do this and walk away unscathed. Well, the moon gets a vote. Size, uh, they could determine the size of these craters by the known size of the other craters around it. No, you don't do it that way. You know the distance of LRO from the surface. You know you can the, do it you know, number of ways. You know the, the field. You know the, you know the field of view. Robert, would you please stop? You know the field of view. Who's the astronomer here? You know the field of view. You know the Tycho Bray. You know you know the field angular uh, diameter of, of of the lens, the focal length, all those parameters. You know the orbit. You know exactly how high you were when you took the picture. That's all those craters. All those features fall out of the equation automatically because of trigonometry. There's no guesswork. So we know exactly down, I mean, LRO can see things on the order of inches, inches. And we're talking about two craters with a combined, you know, size of 111 feet. Come on. All right, let us move on. We're not gonna solve this. If there's anybody out there that has access to the full LRO imagery, let us know. If you wanna do the processing, you can do that and provide us with the product. If you want to leak it from inside NASA and not tell anybody where it came from, that's okay too. But to me, this definitely is in, in Stanton Friedman's gray basket. It's not from Earth. I think it's the breakaways demonstrating their overwhelming superiority in the war that nobody wants to admit to. And I believe, I believe Ukraine is frankly a diversion so people have a war to focus on, just not the war, okay? All right. I agree it could be the breakaways. Oh, okay. I, break. I would like to add a couple of questions. A couple of no, questions. Hang on, not guys. Now. Hang on, hang on, guys. Hang on. Okay. You're on the other side of midnight. And if I can get this darn thing to play. There we are. There we are. There we are. Okay. Sometimes technology works. Sometimes it doesn't. So we can take out a couple of minutes of the end of that back and forth because it's not adding to the show when we uh, when we do the uh, program for KCAA. Remember, they have very rigid time constraints. So we'll let this play. We'll sub the music at the appropriate time. 
You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Saturday evening, July 2nd, our July 4th weekend, our extraterrestrial. July 4th weekend here in the United States where we have a three-day-long holiday. And uh, getting back to our guests, I believe just before we went to break that I heard the voice of Tim Saunders, who is our resident naval architect, and I underscore the uh, naval and the architect part. So, Tim, do you want to have fun and play 20 questions with the mystery crash on the moon? Sure, I would, but I, I would like to correct you once again. I am not technically a naval architect, okay? I'm a oh. yacht designer with an industrial design background. So every time you say I'm a naval architect, it's not true. Oh, I'm okay? sorry. So, I'm so sorry. I don't want to miss okay. identify people. Um, architecture definitely comes into design. I just sure. made the obvious. Uh, okay, so with that I, out I've of the way. as a naval architect, but I'm not technically qualified as a naval ah, architect, just ah. to clarify. Okay. So... Moving on, I'd like very much to talk about this lunar crater, this double crater. And I think there are a couple of things which really stare out very clearly to me. First of all, the right side of the crater, the one with the, clearly with the object in it, which looks cylindrical, which looks like part of a rocket stage, whatever it is, which looks intact, is projecting a shadow. That clearly is layered above the the crater on the left. So... Obviously, that one occurred after the first one, first crater was created. Whether it's a split second or a month or a year, whatever it is, there's definitely an order of events there. So that's clearly very obvious. The second point is the 
trajectory that the rocket object, whatever it is, projectile made, must have been fairly vertical. Otherwise, the craters would not be more or less circular. Yeah, at these, at, at these relatively low energies, they're not what are called hyper-velocity <clears throat> impacts, which create a circular crater regardless mostly of the impact angle. At these slow velocities, and I know 5,000 miles an hour doesn't sound like slow, but it is for cosmic stuff, you basically have to come down almost vertical to get the kind of crater that you're seeing, or double craters. So you're absolutely correct on that one. Okay, third observation is that the speed you're talking about, the 5,000, what did you say, 5,000? Yeah, 5,000 miles an hour. Miles an hour, yeah, Yeah. 5,000 miles an hour. That's a pretty intense speed. Now, where does that come from? Why do we believe that number? Well, because you add the velocity of an object orbiting the sun. Remember, this object was tracked by radar orbiting the sun and by astronomical photographic measurements. They were able to get, you know, an orbit. We know it was orbiting the sun. It then is pulled in by the combined gravity of the Earth-Moon system. And when it gets close to the moon, the moon accelerates it even more. So the resulting velocities, again, all measured, was about 5,000 miles per hour at impact. Okay, so that was observed at a certain point in time. Yeah. But this, this crater over, is over where a week. On, where, so over a week. Where, yeah. Where, where is it on the moon? It's on the far side near a... Okay, on the far side. ...well-known which, crater called Hertzsprung, which is named okay, after does, a very well-known 19th century astronomer here in the United States. So, but, for example, the, may I just finish this point a second, that if this projectile landed or crashed on the moon, it was observed, and the assumption is it was going at 5,000 miles per hour. No, 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 no. But, it's, it's tracked as it approaches the moon... And then for a few minutes, it's lost. And then a week later, they send LRO over where the impact point was calculated. And there's the double craters. So, and I come back to my point, Richard. It is assumed. It is not known. It is tracked at a certain point in time. Then it goes to the far side of the moon. And the assumption, the wheels of physics work out. And there is the result. But that it's it, assumed that, it, rather it, than known. The assumption is that it kept on going. What would have okay, stopped well, it? Your, your assumption is it kept on going. My assumption is probably more in the field of uh, Ron and Robert is that it possibly went through a landing phase because if Uh, if it hit at 5,000, let me just finish Ron, if it hit at 5,000 miles an hour, then in my opinion, obviously it would have been destroyed, which comes back to your original point, Richard. It's not destroyed. Uh, Tim, this isn't interruptive. This is additive. The uh, LRO took... Uh, looked back through other pictures once they found it, and they have pictures of that spot without question, and there was nothing there. Oh, I, neither I, I, I have seen the GIF comparison. Not, in fact, I wanted to put up a yeah. link, but I, I was too late getting links together tonight for other reasons. But there is a GIF comparison before and after, before and after. Yeah, there was nothing there, so it would have been a landing site possibly, but I'm not saying anything. Okay, back to you, Tim and, okay. and Richard. And the last observation, very quickly, is if you zoom out just a little bit with less focus on the crater, but can you not see that very, very obvious 45-degree line that emits from the center of the two craters going down towards, let's say, 7 o'clock on the clock face? Yeah, I, I see that as the wall created by the explosion of the one crater, of the one object, slightly later than the other object, and we see that all over the solar system. Two craters side by side, impacts, 
the one encroaches on the other, and it's it's basically the crater wall. Mm. You don't it's get an ellipse. You get craters with a wall in between. What you I don't think... get is an object showing a shadow and a three-dimensional rocket construction. Okay, so let me just... Do you see the objects? Do you see those two dots on one, and they're symmetrical, One, two dots on one side and two dots on the other side of the crater? On the left crater, yes. Yeah, on the left crater. There, and so it seems to me like there is a piece of something, some perhaps something, a piece of this rocket that went into the left side while the body of the rocket fell off to the right side. But also, don't you see that pit in the center between them, that there's a hollow pit, like a third small crater in the middle? That's what I'm saying may have been the landing zone, and that this thing was able to break its uh, fall somewhat and top of it. I see that more as a, a part of the shadow. Of what, the what, exactly. What, what you're looking at in the third image where I really jacked up contrast, yeah. there's mm-hmm. a complete c- cylindrical cone-shaped object. The shadow is the shadow on the object, not the shadow on the ground beside the object. It's, it's, the sun angle is just enough. We can actually go back and calculate all this when we get those numbers. This object is like someone gently just placed it there, or it survived the impact because it has a damn shield, and the message is you don't tug on Superman's cape. Yeah. Well, it is, it is possible that that center section is not just crater. Look at the bottom of it. It's kind of smeared. It looks like almost like, like there's a piece of whatever was falling yeah. down there. Yeah. You know, like maybe Again, we, we need better on, resolution, but this this, sure. this wall between two craters is a common feature seen in countless examples all over the solar system from natural hypervelocity impacts. This is the first time I've ever seen anything survive an impact intact. I mean, the damn thing looks intact, doesn't it? Okay. If you, if you okay, I have a new premise based on Richard's uh, super... Uh, contrasty one on the right which brings out a lot more uh if everyone will look at the round thing above this area of interest on the image in other words that other crater above it why is that other crater casting a shadow uh it's a dome it's a lump it's a building it's something that's casting a shadow it's not a dent it's not a crater I think they landed in the middle of a complex of interesting stuff, or tried to. And the and the the thing with engines then went crazy. Then why not admit it? Can I give because you they're the Chinese. But no, no, no. <laughs> that, that that makes zero sense. Come on, come no, on. I agree. That Gosh, makes can I, can I give you my opinion of what what we're looking at? Go ahead. By all okay. means. What it looks like to me, those two <laughs> uh, symmetrical lights going or going down in the dark side of the crater it looks like that is a dome that was covering a silo and it's opened up and we're looking down into a silo with lights going down the side that's That's my opinion but who knows we need better resolution imagery true Mm -hmm. i agree with you those lights look structural to me and it could be a collapsed silo I point out to the I point out to the crowd that the light co- the light colored fluff to the right of the double crater, uh, which is a normal sort of splash that you get when things hit, impact the moon. In this case, 
could that not be a bunch of glass from a bunch of shattered structure that they smashed through? Yeah, an ejector blanket is what it's called. Yeah. 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 See, what bothers me, what bothers me intensely is the numbers. Remember, science is numbers. 19.5, total width 111 feet, 11111, 19.5, come on. Well, if it was covered up with a dome and it might have had some regolith on top of it, it wouldn't have even shown up in the in the images taken before this impact. But it wouldn't have changed the size of it to have that thing hit it. Then how do you I, explain the object being intact? It's intact. Because it's, it's a dome. It rotated open. And we're looking down a shaft. I sw- that's what I'm getting the impression of. I don't see anything look like it crashed there. It looked like this was there and camouflaged. The dome opened up, and we're looking down into a silo. That's for entry. Which is, which is what, 111 feet across? Yeah, meaning that is man-made. No, no, the size. What, what, who the hell needs a 111-foot silo? Our Minutemen are typically 10 feet across. Not uh, 10 times that. Maybe it's not a silo. Maybe it's an entrance into the core of the moon. Who knows? Or it could be an underground complex with geometry. I want to know where the rocket body came from if this impact was caused by, you know, these craters were caused by impact. Sensible question. And we need more LRO data. Or... That gets back to my point about the private mission built by Advanced Space for $30 million. You know how incredible it is to get a vehicle all the way to the moon in the lunar orbit for $30 million for only $30 million? That's one stock trade, you know, for some of these high rollers, all right? So private missions could actually determine what this thing is by simply going into a very low orbit and taking lots of good, high-quality, high-depth, imagery and telemetering it back to earth to the internet to youtube it sounds like it sounds like a job for elon to ron's idea that that the dark the dark area north of this uh these double craters could be a dome it's a very interesting structure that uh, ron has picked up there it's got a very strange shadow with a something well you can speculate all we want we've kind of exhausted the speculation tim did, did we kind of run out what you wanted to say on that? Well, it's just one more thought is that you know, we're applying Earth logic to this event, which we clearly don't actually know what happens. We're making a lot of assumptions here. I mean, for example, let's say that you know, it, it's not a crash site. Maybe it is actually a, an object, a piece of architecture that was there already, which would therefore give the dimensions which you like. Ooh. Um, Therefore, it is a target rather than a crater, maybe a camouflage target. And then perhaps some projectile came towards it, maybe not even a projectile, maybe even a visitor came towards it. And on seeing this this projectile come in its vicinity, or perhaps it was locked on, and this is massive speculation here, they decided to destroy itself, and then the object decided to land and examine the wreckage. That's just another thing. 
there's an assumption here that we're looking at a, a crash site, but this could be a successful landing in which the craft lands horizontally and not on its tail like we are used to seeing our rockets here. Well, we do have a precedent. Remember in 2001, you had the moon buggies and they landed horizontally as opposed to vertically? Yeah. This does not the look like moon. a moon buggy. You know, the motherships are this, gigantic. This, this looks um, pointed, well, rounded and pointed. Narrower at the top, mm -hmm. rounded, wider at the base, like the base is yeah. where it's supposed to land. Uh, we're looking at it at 90 degrees. So, uh, look, at this point, speculation is totally open, and we need real data to decide anything further. I just find it interesting that for the last week, there has been a mystery all over the Internet, and mysteries don't occur all over the Internet unless someone wants them to occur. Maybe we're helping sort out a quest, a bunch of questions that uh, the people in other levels have already been puzzling over, and they said, "Well, let's throw it to the let's throw it to the wolves and see what they say." Hmm. Psychologically speaking, this could be NASA's way of letting us know that there is a third party involved. It's, uh, it's not us, and Chinese say it's not us, and exactly, we're back to Emily Dickinson. When I when yeah. I when I first looked at this, I said, "Okay." Well, let, let, let's reel the clock back, Tim, all right? What makes us think these are impact craters to begin with? Because NASA has a penchant all over the solar system. Every time it sees something circular, oh, it's a crater. And we now know from myriad examples that all circular things on other planets and other moons and satellites are not craters. A lot of them are architecture. So, yes, I'm perfectly willing to go that this is architecture on a scale that memorializes in Earth yards, 19.5. That's a bit of a stretch, but maybe. Maybe someone wanted us all to pay attention to something on the moon that once you get rid of all the normal hypotheses, the ultimate place you're driven to is this is not natural. It's an artificial complex, and we should be paying very close attention. You can also see this very deliberate uh, hexagonal or even octagonal geometry there as well. When I, when I did these, I noticed the geometry, and I tried very hard to ignore it. <laughs> yeah. But it's persistent, and the numbers are what are intriguing to me, because not only is the one important, when you add them together, that's doubly significant. So, all right, to be resolved in the future... Yeah. Who wants to go on to the rest of tonight's planned program? I'd be happy to talk about life on Mars. Why don't we talk about life on Mars, okay? So we go back, to the, we go back to the other <laughs> side of midnight. We go back to the uh, uh, guest page and look at item number six. We're going to be talking a lot about this structure. When uh, the Perseverance lander landed a little over a year ago, February 18th of last year, when it opened its irises and did its equipment checks and started taking imagery, it found it was a mile and a half, no, 1.2 miles. And we have that numbered initially from Bob Harrison. 1.2 miles from this extraordinary object that instantly to me said temple. Uh, NASA named it Kodiak, which is the name of an island in Alaska. And I think the bear 
is named after the island, but I'm not totally sure. And I'm sure. Yeah, our, the word Kodiak is actually means the word island. In so what it's language? Island, island. In what language? Inuit. In Inuit. Inuit. Okay. In Inuit yeah. is how you pronounce that. Yeah. Okay. So Inuit. So they somehow NASA decided to attach an Inuit word Kodiak, meaning bear, to this object that we have seen now over the last year plus is an extraordinary ancient, ancient temple with friezes and geometry and architecture all over the damn thing, particularly on the south side. So if you go to my number seven, you'll see that from the landing spot, which is the little square on the squiggly white line to the right, the so-called Bradbury Landing, which occurred on the 18th of February last year, they then did various traverses with the rover, went north for a while to where there's a lot of little squares. Then they went south for a while. They went back across the landing site, did it around, went back, and then finally went north. And from the last year, they have been marking really great movements north in this long sweeping curve that went to the right to look at that crater there, then went north and curved around to the west past the other crater, and is now where you see the little blue uh, balloons. The far left one is curios- oh, curios- Perseverance up on the uh, uh, slopes of this set of mesas, the so-called delta that they want to explore. And the little balloon to the right of it is the helicopter Ingenuity, which is waiting for its next assignment. And you can see that they go tooling around. They go further west than where Ingenuity currently is. They go south. They make a little rectangle. They go back north. Then they go all the way north. Then they go west. Then they go north again. And if you now go to my next item, which is item number eight, I have labeled two solves, the two little yellow dots there on the traverse line, which should have names, but I forgot to attach them when I did the graphic. This is Sol 409. A Sol is a Martian day, which is slightly shorter, uh, shorter, longer, shorter, longer, 39 minutes and 40 seconds. Thank you. Thank you. I can never keep those straight. And it's 39 twice 19.5. I should remember. So that is both those little dots are Sol 409. So they moved during that Martian day from the right-hand yellow dot to the left-hand yellow dot. And the distance in between is 700 feet, 200 meters. Now, why would they do that on a direct lateral line? Because they wanted a real stereo separation to photograph the hell out of the north side of the Kodiak Temple, which has all kinds of amazing things, including some things that we're going to be talking about tonight that are absolutely mind-blowing. All right, item number, let's go to number nine. This is now, actually you need to rotate it into the field of view. It's a very large image, so use your scroll bars. This is now the eastern side a little bit further north than the uh, initial Percy uh, imagery. Look at all that scroll work and friezes and murals in two sections divided by where 
Percy was standing when I took this photograph. Then you get rid of that and now go to number 10. This is a twin frame mosaic I put together from Saul, I think 408, I believe. Um, so it's up there around, uh, I'm sorry, Saul 411. Um, and you can now see under high sun, the shadowed side of the upper parts of this. And there is clearly all kinds of amazing uh, three-dimensional art, incredibly eroded, incredibly broken. And now we go to number 11, which is Ron's really excellent uh, enhancement uh, with the shadows brightened up just a bit. And you can see now that this does not have the appearance of wind weathering or sandstorms. It's got huge chunks that have fallen out. Well, why is that important? Because sandstorms do not get into the rock and make it fall off from behind. Sandstorms abrade the surface, like rubbing it with some kind of abrasive, and it just makes everything round and smooths edges and ultimately winds up erasing three-dimensional figures. This kind of erosion, and if you scroll down, you can see all the stuff lying on the talus slope. That is characteristic of something called frost wedging, which is where you have um, uh, water, obviously moisture, rain on Mars, back when the climate was capable of supporting rain. It got into the cracks behind the freezes. It expands when it freezes. It breaks them off. And that's how you get this kind of erosion. Obviously, when this was new, the Martian environment was radically different and much more Earth-like than it is now. And in NASA's time frame, that puts it billions of years ago, not in our time frame, we're talking the last 100 million years, if maybe much more recent, a few million years. So obviously we have some uh, differences with NASA science and eventually they will catch up. So let me pause at this point. Rogero, are you with us? I am, yes. Good, good morning, good evening, Richard and audience. Good morning. It sounds like you need a strong cup of tea. I definitely need a strong cup of tea. Do you want to wait for a few minutes till it boils? Uh, no, no, no. I'll, okay. I'll, 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 well, I'll you have been looking as an artist at this uh, remarkable set of images, these friezes on this so-called <laughs> temple. Why don't we kind of go into your area of, of radio with pictures and talk about what you see up there. Okay. Um, well, firstly, when I joined this show, um, oh, well, I think the first thing you, you said to us is you always need at least more than one image so you can get, you know, a perspective and different ideas, resolutions, etc. And if you can't do that, then you need to use your imagination to fill in the gaps. So, as an artist, that's what I do. I let my mind just run a little bit wild so we can have a bit of uh, you know, tasting work going on. But what I... Yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> thank you. What I want to see... giving you a parliamentary rah-rah in the background. Yes, go ahead. Well, I appreciate that yeah. immensely. So, what I did, you, you said to me, just, I said at first, I'm not really seeing much. I don't know what's going on. You said, just let your mind wander and, you know, look. So, if you go to my... 
number 13 with the sketch, I, I did an overall, I did an overlay to start with. Mm-hmm. It's full of uh, geometry, geometric features. Um, and, and I'm talking about the overall structure, not just the little integral parts. Now we can see, this is when the big conundrum always comes up, we can see um, in nature, it would do the same type of thing. But what it comes down to differentiating from nature to other is what's going on in the details, the detail between the detail. And my image number 12.1 from the low resolution. I'm sorry to do this, Ruggiero, but we're at the bottom of the hour. We're going to take a small break, you know, drink your tea, (laughs) and we shall return. My guests this morning are numerous, too numerous to mention. There's Robert and Ron and Ruggiero and Keith and Tim. I'm so glad, Tim, that you are with us. Uh, We'll get some very specific questions I have to ask you probably in the next hour or so. Um, What I think we need to do, however, is to uh, take a pause and uh, kind of think about what we've been talking about. Because if we're right, if in fact someone else created what we're seeing contemporaneously on the moon and left all this incredible stuff, not just on Mars, but all over the solar system, the obvious question is, how does it relate to us? We're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com.
And welcome back, everyone, to this Saturday night of The Other Side of Midnight, this edition on this July 2nd of 2022. Rogero, I'm sorry I interrupted. Please continue. Thank you, Richard. So, uh, what was I? So, back to... We're looking at number 13, which is a really amazing sketch you've done of the geometry that's up there. Wow. What do you think? What's your first impression? Oh, you're, you're right on. See... When we see big, big eroded things here on Earth, given that we don't build anything near this large because we simply don't have the technology, it requires hyperdimensional physics. It requires the ability to shape materials from the atom out. It requires the ability to levitate, to nullify inertia, gravity. In other words, we can't even begin to think on a scale like this. And when we see something this big, that's kind of like a ruin. We think, oh, it's got to be a natural uh, feature, which is naturally eroded. But if you look closely, the geometry you're seeing, I see structured plating. I see design elements. I see mechanical artifice and mechanical supports. And in other words, I see an eroding super mega structure that looks natural only because we are inconceivably unable to think of building on this scale. Yeah, when I look at my image uh, 12.1, now I'm not sure if I'm looking at the same image. It's this mound, the same one which Ron has Yes, 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 of course. Yes, because on Ron's image, I'm just going to be brutally honest with with the the imagery comparison with him. On Ron's image, it looks... um, eroded um naturalish feature yeah um i think that's number 10 so i'm just trying to scroll through yeah eroded natural feature but on the one i'm seeing because the resolution's lower it's uh it looks extremely um almost like mechanical geometric yeah because so, at lower resolution you know it's what i call the gigi phenomenon from that famous movie with marie chevalier have I been standing up too close or back too far? The way you get around erosion and see what the original art was supposed to be is you basically don't want super high resolution. You want it fuzzier. You want the original outlines and forms to assume their rightful place again over the detail. It's like looking at a newspaper uh, image, and if you're too close, you only see the damn dots. Yeah, yeah. So if you look uh, at Rosero, so you're talking about my number 10? Well, I was doing a direct comparison between the two. So the lower yeah. resolution one is showing real geometric features. I want you to quickly look at my 12.1. Yes, and yes, I was. Yeah, right. no, Richard's quite right about that, and so are you. Hmm. There's like three, three sections, and particularly if you look at the middle piece, um, it's almost like a right-angled triangle with I'll tell you what it's reminding me of. It's like the, I put the image below. It reminds me of like the, the Mayan type stuff, Pakal's spaceship. How peculiar yes. you should say something, Ron. That you was my vote on that. that yeah, was, that I was know. Your cue, I, I, Ron. Oh, I should have. But uh, yes, uh, I, I should have folded in that uh, Lord Pakal picture from uh, last time. Well, that, we can uh, always add it. Geeks can port it yeah, over. well, it's 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 necessary or not, you know. It but is. It's, it's, it is. It's, it's, Remember, people okay, it's should not go yes, hunting. 
it, yeah, this is a, there's an odd mixture here of Mex of Mexican of uh, Mayan and Egyptian exactly. influence in all these exactly. things. Exactly. And it's while NASA's been farting around. Sorry, folks, but we're you know we can do that. Um, mm-hmm. We've been doing real science, and our architectural and archaeological uh, conclusions tentatively are we're looking at the genesis of two of the most extraordinary high cultures on earth that got separated by two hemispheres, one in the Middle East, the other in the New World. On Mars, they appear to have coexisted in time and space and geography and knew each other and married each other's wives and husbands. And this is very, very interesting that Ruggiero, without knowing any of this, you came to this conclusion independently yeah I, you know i don't know what it is but um looking at our, our history and then things which have been unexplained like uh, pakal's tomb now, it's not just mm-hmm. the map pakal's got you know beautiful glyphs on on the top of his tomb it's what that glyph is kind of saying um yeah. and when we then go back to in particular this image the geometric shapes uh you're talking the about the t- the sarcophagus at palenque that, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, it's not. That's not. That's. There's very few glyphs on there, believe it or not. That's actually a technical drawing. That's what it drives everybody crazy and inspired yeah. people like Zechariah Sitchin to talk about it. And if you, it's almost impossible. I'm sorry to interrupt, but this, this is something I just stumbled into. If you, it's almost impossible to find a picture of that lid that's mm. hidden. All yeah. we see are tracings, and they're, tra- they're copies of tracings that go back a uh, hundred years. Which have the, been uh, gently altered. They have. They don't look like the original does. Uh, actually, uh, yeah. Everyone, I've tried to do an internet search. I have seen a picture of the original somewhere before. Well, Ron, well then you know what I'm talking about. Ron, yeah. didn't you find one the other day? I did, and I, I it hasn't got enough. It was more than the other day, but it was... Uh, uh, it was done as a test project. They had a laser scanner of some sort, you know, so it's like a huge Xerox, of the, if you will, of the thing because it, it's a very narrow thing that rolled through it and took a picture and it's in full color because the lid actually was painted. And then they were able to augment that. And the reason that I haven't posted it or anything is that I need more credentials. Like I said, we can't get a look at the damn thing. But it's from what that shows, his face is different. The layout is a little wait, different. Wait, wait, you it still looks like me. somebody. Can you not post it if you've got it? Well, it's not the whole thing. It's like two thirds of it. it was te- they were testing this equipment, right. supposedly, to do a, la- a laser isn't, scanning isn't photograph of the than, lid. Isn't two thirds better than nothing? Uh it is. It is. I don't like to post anything that uh, that might be, you know, too. Well, anyway, all right. I'll add it next week because these things are these things are rolling. It's people can make up their own. Time, lives. yes. Yeah. Anyway, well, you brought it up. I was going to hide it, R- just like the Chinese in their rocket. Ruggiero, <laughs> R- R- please continue. I'll yes, come back sir. To, I'll come back to. Um, I'm going to compare thirteen and fourteen. Um, that's on the sketch. Let's do that. Yeah. So in the center of 13 is the funny looking triangular 
right angle geometry. See in my sketch? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then to the right, like uh, there's a middle block missing, and then there's a circular feature, which you'll have to then go back to the photograph, original photograph, um, which is 12.1, and you'll see that odd, odd looking circularish fo- um, whatever piece. You mean you mean just to the right of the geometry? That's right. Yeah. It kind of looks like so, an artist's palette with various daubs of paint around the perimeter. I like that. I like that. I think it looks more like a sort of a, a shield. Um, or it could be Jimmy Durante. Look at his nose. <laughs> See, anybody can play this game. But yeah, it's obviously something that used to be bigger and more impressive. But what I'm interested in is the context. Look at the context of all that you've drawn. Then go back to the photo and compare. And we should obviously photo. The, 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 the photo of his of of uh, the Ruggiero has at reduced resolution. Compare his sketch with the photo. Okay, your photo. The Ruggiero has the no, no. ability to bring out a lot of plumbing and tubing external to this structure. Well, and that we thing don't almost looks like a house. It almost looks like a house built into the side, the, the right angle that he was talking about. When, when, when I look with windows. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, um, Robert. No, no, when, no, go for it. When I look at it to start with, uh, if it wasn't for wrong higher resolution, I'd have said it's not a spacecraft. Um, when I then go to my lower resolution and see all the geometry, it just reminded me of either the purely on the geometry factor, either the crash compactor in Star Wars or the Millennium Falcon. It just, it was a... Wait, wait, you know, did, did you just say something that I missed? Are you thinking that this extraordinary 1,300 foot wide, 500 foot tall object is a spacecraft? Um, there was hints of it. When you use the term, like, you know, you look at rocks and say... They're not rocks. They're something else. I let my mind just run a bit wild because I don't right. know group. I thought I'm just going to go with it anyway. And I saw all the linear geometry and different shapes. And I was like, ah, oh, Millennium Falcon. When I look at Ron's, I, I can't, I don't feel it's that. So See, from the, time, from the time I first saw this, given that mm. I live in the great American Southwest, and I'm surrounded mm. by these landforms, and there's a lot of landforms that I'm now looking at because of John and Keith with whole new eyes that I think are from this epic, this most recent epic of Martians coming to Earth 30,000 years ago and re-sculpting major portions of our landscape. So it gets fuzzier and fuzzier to look at something here on Earth and say, oh, that's natural and that's artificial. It depends on who did what to it and when. On Mars, I've seen this as part of the 30-mile diameter lake bed that we're in, Jezero mm. Crater, as an outcropping of the ancient geology that was then shaped and reshaped and modified and drilled into and probably hollowed out and made inside and in some places outside by an external application of very sophisticated, totally beyond us technology, a long, long time ago on a planet far, far away, and then millions of years went by, and erosion 
has done its work, and we're seeing a pale echo of what it was like when it was new. But the core of it is a natural butte like I can see when it's daylight out the window here. Okay, so I'll just uh, clear up my story so people can see my train of thought. So it's like, okay, it's either, it's either a mound or it's a, a crash craft. Um, and then with the, the way the geometry looked, I was like, well, it reminds me of, King, you know, King Bacal, so mm-hmm. with his spaceship. So I put that in there. And then on number 15, if you look at the, the spacecraft on the Millennium Falcon, um, you can see the sort of aerodynamic structure and then the engineering structure in between, and that kind of reminded me of what we were seeing. So that's, that's my point as to why I made that slightly abstract link. Well, it doesn't have to be a space to have artificial stuff, and I think Robert made a very good point. Given the degree of erosion and what was inside the exterior uh, butte, there could be all kinds of plumbing and constructional mm. elements that are now hanging out, the guts exposed, because erosion has taken an incredible toll over the incredible amount of time it's been sitting there wearing away, wearing away, wearing away. And as I said before, it's not just sand erosion, it's, fra- it's a frost wedging, meaning that you had literal chunks of it peeling off when ice expands and separates from the body. Yeah. If you would so, permit me to discuss that, what I'll call the cliff house, that's the one with the right angle. It's a right angle triangle, basically. But at the ends of it, there are these spikes that stick out. There are one, two, three, four spikes on the left side, on the long side. And then on the short side, there are these other three horns that come out of it. And then there are one, two, three, four windows along the base uh, of different sizes. But that is, to me, totally uh, construction and uh, purposeful, purposeful. It looks like uh, that's why I'm calling it a cliff house. And then adjacent to it, all of that stuff that I'm calling the plumbing. It's rectilinear. It looks tubular. Uh, I think, Ruggiero, you found something fantastic here. I'm sure. Oh, thank thank you, I'll, I'll give the hats off to whoever put the image in, but I, thanks for you know, giving me the opportunity to sketch it. And um, you, you can see all that uh, rectilinear geometry. And that's why I put the link with, with the Mayan. Uh, it, just, it just jumped out at me. You know, sure, good call. Second. They had something going on, or they, you know, they, they had a mythology with uh, with technology, and then I see a similar looking thing here. So I, I wanted to, you know, compare and contrast the two and give a little representation. Does anyone? Why else? did you put uh, Why did you put Mount Rushmore in your pictures? I'm just that's curious. For, that's for later. <laughs> oh. Okay. Okay. Well, everybody's talking about size and scale, and since I got fascinated with the construction of it, if anybody wants to know how big, relatively speaking, Mount Rushmore is, one of the sculptors that worked on it would would literally look. If you looked at blow, blow up any of the faces, put a fly at the same scale as that face, whatever you got the face at, put a fly on their nose. That's exact. That's how big. That's how big a six foot or uh, thereabouts person would look uh, on there, Mr. Berger. Uh, so that place is big. It's big. Do you know that there's a Masonic temple inside Mount Rushmore? Yes, I uh, do. That's uh, no. pretty incredible. I, they made a secret cubicle archive room because they were going to bury all the national records behind the statuary. <laughs> 
and 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 the room is there, but and I guess the masons kind of converted it into a temple, but uh, mm-hmm. there it's basically an empty room. At least the last time I saw a photograph, it was empty. According to the second National Treasure movie, there's a lot of stuff inside there. <laughs> you wonder why he picked that. Okay. There is a rumor. I'll just throw this out. There's a rumor that they actually have started work on a third National Treasure film. Oh, wonderful. Because you know it was forecast in the mm-hmm. second one. Yeah. Area 51, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Rogero, if, if you're kind of at a pausing point, why don't we go to Ron? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then when we get okay. to the top of the hour, Robert, I want to come to your uh, reptilian music. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Ron? Okay. I'm going to kind of go backwards here. Yeah. Number 10 that, uh, since Rogero already brought it up, the reason it looks the way it does is that, uh, since we had a since we had a picture of the other side of Kodiak, the South side, uh, basically South side. Thank you. Uh, the, and I looked at it and I said, it is so dark and muddy. What did they do? What are they hiding there? Uh, and I have seldom spent so much time on an image. And we're talking non-destructive things like histogram adjustments, but it's just mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again in order to get push it as far as I could. And um, so I noticed a lot of interesting things. One, it's clearly carved out of the side because underneath them you can see the, um, well, the pediment. Pretty much. I mean, there's, there's. You can see where they dressed the face of it below where the statues are, and they all stick out. And that mm-hmm. was kind of a surprise because you know we never got that kind of detail out of the north side. I'm going to try that this week. I didn't have time you to try it. You mean out of the one. south side? Whichever side we saw first. We saw first we the south. Then look at my trusty map. So this is the north. To look at the north side. Yes. Okay. Then this is the north side and. The uh, And on the left edge of it, you are seeing the profile of the exact same sculpture that's sticking out on the right side of the previous first view of Bear, Kodiak, Temple Island spot. So um, that's enough about that. Everybody can look at it on their own. But above that, well, I no, brought no, no, back no, you, these... You're, you're glossing over that too quickly because when I saw what? it and you compared it to the south side, I said, oh, those are the bookends. That's the frame. The mural mm-hmm. only stretches between this spot on the north wrapping around to the other spot on the south with an opposite signed figure that looks very similar. In other words, Good point. if you are yeah. looking at a tableau, a history, go to the Smithsonian. You'll see you know, people like Frederick Remington, who was a great you know, Western uh, uh, illustrator. They did these huge murals like the history of the country from Columbus up through, you know, the airplane, that kind of thing. I have a feeling that this is the encapsulated history of Mars in a freeze, a wraparound freeze, from the beginning of wherever someone decided the beginning was to when this all ended. And all we have to do, quote, all we have to do is decode it properly. Well, that brings me to Dr. Compass. Uh, Mr. Hoagland, the uh, what is it pointed at? Because I, we've been saying it, talking terms of north side, south side. I noticed when I worked on this one, there are these swoops 
I keep calling them swoops because they're like they're kind of like the you know the athletic swoosh thing uh, to the right of it. And well, if you if look at my flat, if you look at my number eight, see where we originally were. We were looking at the east and southern side. You see mm-hmm. on on the on the eight map, and then the traverse, the two little yellow dots, is where we are for these pictures. We're definitely looking at the north side. And we're looking in stereo with a baseline of 700 feet with cameras. And that's why they needed so much distance. Because the... It's so eroded that the surface relief is almost undetectable now. Yeah, a lot of it's broken up. But you can see those, those curvy swooshes on my number 10. They're to the left on the, uh, you know, the original... Yeah, Ron, you're you're kind of breaking up. If you can move, oh, uh, better, no, better, they're, better. Yeah, they're fra- Yeah, they're framing that tableau, exactly. which means that the yes. tableau. So that end of that of the butte uh, is pointed at something else, and that's probably something important. Well, we go back to the map. That's why maps are useful. Yeah. Okay. Right. Now look, I can move on. Look at look at uh, number eight. Look, this is an oblong. It's oriented northeast, southwest. Okay. Your number. Your number eight. You mean my number eight? Yeah. yeah. The the yeah, axis okay. is northeast, southwest. So if you follow mm-hmm. the north axis further up, um, unless it's out of frame, there's nothing obvious. If you look in the southwest direction, same. There's nothing obvious. So if if the orientation itself is important then the erosion mm-hmm. has, has uh, kind of made it mute. To me, it looks more like it could have been originally squarish, and the east-southeast portion is heavily eroded now. If you look at the uh, overhead maps, either seven mm-hmm. or eight. But again, without precise photogrammetry, we're not going to know if the orientation is important. It probably is. Um, it looks to me like it's not exactly north. That that north side is really like north northeast or northwest rather. It's not mm-hmm. exactly north, but it's close enough as we used to say for folk music. Yeah. Okay. Let me. Uh, we're. I don't want to get the everything clogged up so that nobody gets any any points finished. But uh, yeah, the, let me do one. Let me do a breeze through on on mine. If we go. If you go to mine. Look at number one. That's from Curiosity. Uh, it's very recent. Curiosity is still working, and perhaps the fact that we were bitching about it on the air caused them to say, well, maybe we should release some color images. I don't know. But they released a few. So the, um, <laughs> that's, that's a uh, pretty inarguable pyramid. Oh, it looks like an ancient eroded pyramid. pyramid. Yep. Yeah, and you'll notice a sort of a light patch in the middle. If you if you blow the whole thing up and look at it, you'll see that you can see some of that paneling that you were talking about. You know, like it's uh, the its surface is covered, unlike the Kodiak uh, in the other crater. It's, oh, Roger, uh, well, look something... at that. Those are panels. Look at those panels. Yeah, like Roger was referring to, and in yeah, the lower. Look at the, the, oh, you the, got to do a sketch of this. Yeah, the upper image is the full thing, the full yep. 
item area, and uh, but the lower one is a close up of well, the top look of at, it. Of look, course. Look, at, look at the base. Good grief! Mm. Look at the look at all those flat blocks. It looks like yeah. The look edge, at the stuff in the it, foreground. It looks like the mm-hmm. edge of the Giza Plateau. <laughs> well, and, someone okay. is chortling. They chortle in England. Yeah. They don't laugh. <laughs> I, they chortle. I, you're right. That was a chortle. That was definitely a chortle. <laughs> All right, hey, come Ron. forward, you chortler. Okay, hey, Ron, you did a yes. great, Robert. I think you did a great thing with the close-up on the bottom there. Isn't that amazing? The whole yeah. bunch of faces, the whole bunch of faces, the, the le- like caves that are forming a face. The left one, leftmost one, looks almost like the top of a skull. Okay, it's are you are, are you are you prepared for this? If you zoom in on the base at the bottom of your of your uh, wide shot, look at all those damn cables. Look at all that. You know, the, it's obviously artificial. And then over on the right, there's a cluster of something that looks like faces set in all this geometry. Look at look at the cabling dangling. You see it? You don't see it. Struggling to see. Think of where the light is coming from. So a cable will be a long, bright thing with a black shadow on the left. And I see it. All of them. There's hundreds there. At least a dozen I can see. Mm-hmm. And they just scroll cables back and forth. Cables or perhaps Reba. It, <laughs> my, uh, well, see, that would be scale. That would be the um, the uh, designer in our midst. To me, mm-hmm. it looks more like either plumbing or electrical. Um, it doesn't look like rebar because rebar would be much smaller on the scale inside blocks or inside concrete this well this might help the um the reason that i picked this one this uh image to to from the curiosity things to uh, do was because of that of that uh rubble on the top because right. some some mayan pyramids um there was some of this at tikal i think yeah, but those, that's not rubble it, those are faces those yeah are i know gargoyles. i'm getting to that those they're are sculptures damn gargoyles. And yes. Yes, but but they're all fallen down. They were sticking up. They were statues, and not all statues are solid. So they may have had plumbing wiring. How could they all fall down and have their faces aimed toward the camera? Okay, we're uh, at break. Okay, are we back to break time? Gosh, yep. it's amazing how fast this show, you know, goes forward. Quite amazing. Quite amazing. We shall continue this, to me, amazing, the enrapturing conversation, because I miss times that way. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. If you touch that dial now, you'll miss an amazing surprise I found, which will be in the final half hour of the other side of midnight. We shall return. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio 
with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. $0.08 an episode. Two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this now Saturday night, Sunday morning here in the land of enchantment, the land of New Mexico, the lands of buttes and mesas and red, red rock. Robin loved red, red rock. We're talking about artifacts on a place where they have no business being on the planet Mars. So, Ron, um, if you want to finish up your section, because I'm kind of really intrigued with Robert and his reptilian take on what we're seeing. Gladly. Uh, Number two is everybody's favorite door from Curiosity from uh, the last couple weeks on the left. And um, on the right is from Guatemala. Uh, that was, I think, the picture was taken in 1893, but uh, I think it's fallen over or been moved at this point in time. But you can get a sense of how they built some big stuff that wasn't just buildings. And for clarity, the uh, Mayan glyphs and pictures are nothing at all like hieroglyphics from Egypt. And you can see the difference on the left side of that um, uh cylindrical column there if you blow the picture up you'll see what you'll see a bunch of glyphs pictures of things and there's a strip running down the right um the backside more or less which is writing my that's my my, that's my in writing the stuff on the left side sculpture and everything is all pictures uh, just to make the difference and whereas inside this is really fascinating because if you look at the art just compare i wish we had Cynthia with us tonight the damn art, Ruggiero, it looks Mayan. The Martian art looks Mayan. I was going to say, Richard, that it would be yeah. a very cool composite to cut out this pillar and put it right next to 12.1. You mm-hmm. it would, would be able to see the, uh, a context. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, Rogero is a little a little new to this. He's coming up the curve swiftly. So by next yes. Saturday, he will have done that, and we will have side by side comparisons. And you know, this is all a work in progress. Good God, is this yeah. show 
a work in progress to say nothing of the research. Yeah. Well, one of these down here I think is probably important, so I should probably get to it. Number three, not so much, but it does look like buildings. I mean, there's windows and things. It is, uh, the, uh, that's from Perseverance. Number four, uh, also from Perseverance, obviously, uh, look at the color. I mean, Keith asked me earlier today about the um, little things sticking up on the top there. And, yeah, oh if you blow it up so you can see some detail, this. Yeah, I, I thought this. I thought this one would relate to the chit chat about uh, microbes and so forth, because this this could be the uh, caused by lichen and uh, moss. Oh, easily. Or, Remember when you or, fly into SFO and you you um, fly across those rectilinear uh, salt pits that are at the base of the of the uh, bay, the uh, uh, San Francisco Bay, and they're basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, evaporating the salt water to capture the brine, but there's also all kinds of organisms mixed in, and so all those pools, as you fly in to land at the airport, you fly right over. They're all incredible colors. There's greens and blues and yellows. If you go to Yellowstone and you look at the uh, the hot springs, you see um, uh, extremiform bacteria that can. You know, they, they love boiling water. The hotter, the better, apparently. That's what this looks like. It looks like the residue of some kind of ancient, ancient life form, not geology. Yeah, yeah. No. It, looks like the crud, it looks like the crud you might see around a um, So this is uh, where they roughly are now, 483. They're up at the delta. This is at the lower levels, ancient levels of the delta, when there was uh-huh. nobody on Mars, and this was just a lake building sediments exactly like uh, deltas do at the mouth of the Mississippi or the Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And number five is some ancient Martian farmland. Oh, my. Let me look. Let me look. Let me look. Okay. Yeah. Ancient it's, Martian you, farmland. As you can see, that's, that's some petrified asparagus at the in, um, signaled out in the uh lower photo there okay what am i missing i don't see the asparagus you ever seen asparagus growing out of the ground yeah of course i used to pick it from my neighbor all the time she yeah, okay. yeah, would say just come on down and pick whatever you need i had wonderful huge fresh asparagus so I, yeah well, it looks like it looks like the top of an asparagus spear uh oh you mean that the, the, little arrows are helpful the object on the upper right lying almost horizontal with the three holes in it. That's your asparagus, right? Number five. Number five. The, uh, it's to the left at, of the, the, at the bottom picture. The bottom image is the blown up lower left corner. Right. It's yeah, little... and it's. Uh, I just thought that knobbiness there looked like a um, stick of asparagus. Of course, it can uh, be something sigh. totally different. I tried. Well, the point is that it, it's hard to imagine that it got it naturally got to that shape. So I believe it was probably well, sculpted how do you explain, and fell over. How do you explain the the triangle right above it? Yeah, exactly. That looks to me like machinery, heavily eroded, very ancient machinery, which does erode from abrasion very, very slowly. Anyway, we will never yeah. figure out what this stuff is until, until we, we go there. there. Yes. Right. Keep going. Yes, Keep and going. number six is yet another look at the oh, uh, I like your title. Kodiak Choir. I love yeah. your title. 
had to call it something. I wanted to sit a signal or set a, set out just the, the sculpture. Wow. Tim, sorry. Did someone want and to say something? That was Tim, I think. Tim? Or was it Rogero? It was Rogero, I think. Someone has to be bold. They have to just elbow their way in. Wasn't me. Okay. Oh, okay. Moment has passed. Number seven, iridescence, which I probably spelled right. Uh, Because, Richard, this is one of the ones you came up with because I could not find it in full scale. They actually have small, medium, and large versions of their images. Oh, I've got the full uh, scale, and that's what my surprise is in the last half hour. Okay. Uh, the uh, I just why when I went looking for it, uh, Richard sent me some images to look over, and I said, "Okay, I'll go get the raws myself because I don't trust anybody." Um, not, oh, wait! You not see a what this not, does when you have the hot, see? There's 500 pixels missing, and they've mm-hmm. been doing it deliberately, and I feel like kicking myself because for years I've been looking at the wrong file. Yeah. Well, anyway, it might lie. It might look at first uh, glance that there isn't much to uh, get excited about in there. But the thing is, notice the tone of the image. It's shiny. I mean, it's shiny like the glaze on a donut. Shiny. It's uh, it's the light was catching it. It was all reflective. Or it's shiny like lots of powdered glass. Yes, exactly. Remember the uh, Gagan shine. Or Haligan shine, Robert. Which is the proper term for when you're in an airplane and you look down and you see the clouds reflecting sunlight directly back Heiligen, of you? Haligan shine. Holy, holy, shine. Haligan shine. Okay. Well, when we landed with Percy, remember that brilliant glare that moved around the landscape as the lander gets closer and closer? That's, I think, the kind of material we're seeing now up close and personal. Because it's glass. And you can see the, the prismatic refractions. You can see rainbows. I mean, this is an incredible place. And they really did a great job photographing it, as you're going to see in the last half hour. There are surprises here. Okay, number eight. The, um, I titled it that because, well, I know people that like to climb up the outside of buildings and things like that. And uh, when you look at this, I don't think you'd trust that that wouldn't break off in your hand when you were climbing no, up there. So no, I'm not no, sh- no. doesn't really look like rocks. But, um, yeah, if you blow it up, you'll see what everything's involved. Obviously, the lower left corner is the original, uh, as posted uh, with the orange filter and everything. Oh, I like the geometry of your, of your uh, triplicate here, because on the right, you see the whole column from top all the way down toward the bottom. No, this is smash structure. Mm-hmm. This is our collapsed arcology. This is yeah, exactly. So, I, yeah, okay. Fact, and finally, in, 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 hang oh, on, go hang ahead. On, hang on. On the yeah. on the right hand side, you got that strip that goes mm-hmm. vertical on the right, about toward the bottom of the image on the left, which is the full scale. Look at that cave like and what's in it structure. Mm-hmm. Look at that been protected from erosion it looks like you could roll it out almost it looks like some kind of vehicle 
Yeah, let's get to the shiny object. Could be. That's important. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah, okay. The reason that it's there, because, you know, you've seen it before, although this one happens to be the only version of that image where you'll see the whole thing. This is the whole thing. I mean, such as it is. The picture, the whole fr- the whole picture that would have the quote-unquote shiny object in it, you know, which you can obviously see on there. Uh, but they always, the uh, they they cut the frame in half. When they even when they advertised it, so that you wouldn't see that that other stuff in front of it, it's obviously artificial. Obviously, obviously. yeah, you know, it's, it's it, uh, looks, looks like some kind of giant giant cams. Who knows? But here's the mystery. I said it looks like. I didn't say that's what they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Here's camshafts from a giant marine engine. <laughs> well, I like. I like that. All right, okay, chug, chug, Tim, chug. Tim, Tim they, can join in right now. Well, he may not see camshafts. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the, um, everybody's free to see what they like, but this is, I guarantee you, this is the highest resolution picture of that damn shiny thing that you'll see. Uh, putting arguments about it specifically aside, I went back and I looked at the, there's a nav cam shot, um, of course. There are shows two nav cam shots, I think. Well, there may be, I thought, but the one of them has both the supposed balanced rock and the supposed shining object right. visible in it. But when I went back to look, said, should I dress that up a little bit and, you know, and match it up to this for the repeat performance here? And I realized something. You can't really see the shiny object, to use their term, uh, on the nav cam shot, but you see something there that's different. Now, if this thing is reflective, as it certainly seems to be, and light-colored, as it certainly seems to be, then no matter what, it should stand out for that, and it's lost in the shadow. However, and I should have had the nav cam shot. how can something this bright be lost in the shadow when we know it's sitting under a gorgeous Martian blue sky that's shining light into every shadowed structure? Yeah, and it's so reflective that it's reflecting the thing to the right of it on its left side. It's like a mirror. I can see yeah. the reflections in this. This is like a sheet of aluminum bent at, a, at an angle so that the side on the left is slightly in shadow and the side on the yeah. right is not. And I'm then sure this all is the, not a part off of part of no, the... No, uh, no, no. It's the, not. The yet. dot pattern on it is regular. That's exactly. impossible. And Laney, yeah. Laney well, it, sent me this, and he pointed it out. Of course, he had the wrong color, but he said, look at the dot pattern. He thought this was the most artificial thing in all his work he's ever seen on Mars. He put it in right. writing. Well, uh, NASA claims that, uh, without saying so directly, that it's a piece of a para- of the parachute, something that just happened to blow its way over there. Uh, and it happened to blow point. its way over there between the taking of two pictures. In one picture, it's there. In the other, it's not. Yeah, that would seem to be the case. But there is some lumpy something that looks like a, uh, an, you know, an old-fashioned faucet handle style one, the kind that does not have a ring around the outside. It's just got like four or five knobs sticking out. Yes. You know, think of a it handle. Looks, it, looks it, like, like, it looks like, like, like a three-dimensional daisy. And they're all neatly yeah, rounded. Good description. Yeah, there's something like that in that spot in the in the nav cam picture. 
Now, that could be what this blew up against, and that's why it's wedged against it, if that's what happened, you know, to put the two together. But it's very peculiar that it doesn't look the same in both pictures. Okay, so this was uh, taken on Saul 467, okay? Saul 467 mm-hmm. is an Earth year and about 100 days after landing. You with me, Keith? So it would have to have blown in a non-existent atmosphere several miles, at least a mile from where we landed in a northerly direction and landed exactly where Perseverance was, exactly when Perseverance was there in an atmosphere which is supposed to be the equivalent density of 100,000 feet. How many more impossible things before breakfast does NASA want us to believe? I think we should call it the Kleenex because it might as well be that according to what they say. Exactly. It has to be incredible. Mm. Instead, it looks like part of an aluminum cube. You can see it's bent. You can see it's it's stippled with these geometric pattern. It's got a thickness. Mm -hmm. It's obviously very heavy compared to anything that the Martian wind could pick up and then carefully deposit right in front of the damn camera when the spacecraft rolls up to it. Come on. Well, to me, of the apparent other object taking up that space on the NAVCAM picture. Tim. Tim, from from Tim. Okay, Ron, just a second. I was going to say to me, it screams out heat shield or in the production of sort of exotic cars and boats and planes and things will use like materials to sort of reduce anti-noise and vibration as well. But obviously I'm not saying it is that. It just has that sort of yeah. uh, semblance. But there, it, yeah. it is covered in these like triangular geometrically yeah, positioned dots. Which, dots are, can... which are not the product of the laser on the rover trying to get a sample. No. But no. what's interesting is it has at least three uh, anomalies there. On the left, if we take the whole silver pieces, mm-hmm. like a clock face at nine o'clock, there is a uh, two double dots which are out of phase. Yep. Down below, there's a third at like six thirty, seven o'clock. There's another two or three dots down there yep. out of phase. On the right, somewhere as well. Mm-hmm. But three o'clock, there's yeah. another anomaly. But otherwise, it is something which is so obviously mechanically produced. Um. But yeah, it, it, it's not natural. There's no way that's natural. Well, it's, it's sitting yeah, in the it, middle of an ancient Martian corroded eye beam. Come on. And it's strange that it's not dirtier. Well, it, it is. Well, more, it is dirty on the bottom left. Yeah, um, yeah, it is a little dirty. It looks like a little bit of a smudge. But again, depending upon the material, we have materials that are basically frictionless. So if you right. if you if you pour dust on them, it doesn't stick. We have a thing called sure. Teflon. Now Teflon is an organic. But there are metallic glass compounds that are so damn slippery that their only use is in bearings. It could be made of something that dust literally doesn't stick to. Sure. Well, there's also an awful yeah. whole array of nanotechnology coatings that you can put on things yep, which yep. Mm-hmm. particles do not track to. But also yeah. the top left, if you look again at nine o'clock, it's like uh-huh. uh, it looks like it could be heat damage. Again, it's pure speculation, but there's a different tone, different darkness. I'm intrigued with the difference in thickness because on the bottom right, on the upper right, on the top, 
mm-hmm. and on the bottom left, it's very thin, thinner than we can resolve. In the upper left, at about the 10 o'clock position, there's this obvious wedge. Is that a piece of it folded over, or is that the thickness of that part of this, whatever this is? To me, it's folded. Okay, good. My eye. Yeah. yeah, it looks like it's crammed in there, too, which is another thing. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't look like it could, even if one of those fabulous gusts of Martian wind came by, it would move <laughs> it anyway. It looks like it's really jammed in between the, that other stuff. And that's it doesn't look like fabric. It looks like it's made of stern stuff, like aluminum of some gauge. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm looking at the disc that's in the slot to the right of it, upper upper right of that corner of that. There's a disc in that shadow socket, and you can see its shape is circular. I don't see what you're, you're right. Looking. There's sort of a disc embo- uh, sort of embossing itself on the surface just, from the just, end. Describe where. Describe what we're looking at. I don't see it. Look at the farthest upper right corner of the shiny object. Okay. And then keep going up diagonally to the right and look in oh. that slot. There's something oh, that little, it looks like a little coin. Little, little tiny, yeah, or, or a washer or something. It looks pretty big to me. This whole thing Very. is not that big. Okay. Again, don't know. Got, Anybody have, know how big it is? We have geometry. I don't, I don't, it's, it's, only a, it's only a couple of feet tall. I haven't okay. worked it out, but I've, I, I, I've seen enough of the imagery to get an eye for the width of the camera field of you. Remember, this is probably a 6.2 degree field image, which means this is a relatively small object quite far away up the hill, and it worked out to about maybe a foot or two. So the object, the shiny object is smaller, Um, and what I find bizarre is in some photos it's there, in others it's not, and it can't just disappear in the shadow because we know that things are seen in shadows on Mars all the time. So a bright, shiny piece of aluminum mm-hmm. would definitely stand out. It's not there. So how does it wind up being there just when we're taking pictures? Come on, guys. Is someone <laughs> on Mars, the secret space program, playing games with NASA? But Rich, did you look at the object that's in front of that whole I-beam? It yeah. looks like a freaking grand piano sitting on its side or something. <laughs> a yes, triangular yes. point sticking out of the corner, the side of it, and some kind of triangular arrow next to that. Are you talking about the laminated thing under the shiny object, or the no, 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 or the, the object in the object stand, in the front foreground, the, the big? The, the, wait, 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 the lower, the lower half of the photo, like I said, the no, part no, 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 NASA no. cropped talking, out. Yeah, talking about the things we thought were cam, cam, cams. Yeah, yeah, what it, Robert, what Robert does, and Tim thought it, might be campshafts. It does look like three grand pianos stacked together, and then they tipped over. <laughs> three That'll of work. Them. Three that of them. Totally unusual. Well, pianos yeah. on Mars. I'll go for that. Of course, they had pianos. Where do you think we got them from? Okay. The, ah, the etching, yes. We, etching in the side of it is, you got a uh, looks like a tetrahedron sticking out the side. Yep. And you've got a triangle right next to that. Yep. And the, the, no, it's obvious. Ob- look, we can play the game all night. What was it used for? Yeah. Nobody will win. The only way we're going to know is to go and find the damn libraries 
and Tim's drawings. Okay, let's. How about Robert's stuff? Isn't it? Uh, uh, I'd like to. I'd like to take the last few minutes before the break to start to introduce this idea. Go but for I'd it. like to ask. I'd like to ask uh, Keith if you can uh, add that link to the Chinese caves. It's very important to uh, make my case for submarinean life on Mars, and it has to do with these gigantic caves that have been discovered in southern China that have forests and rivers and uh, strange life forms in them. No, wait, wait. Um, what, 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 what? I, I missed what's been discovered on, in, in China. Well, it's in this video, uh, as you know, Google stepped on my email today and we weren't able to get it in uh, early as I had. There's, there's a cave, two caves in China, Heidong Cave and uh, Bontian Kang. These caves are immense. One cave is 450 meters deep, 1,000 meters wide. The other cave is even bigger. And the mm, second that's a big cave. Sinkholes, they say, but uh, yeah, sinkholes that are caves when you look at them. When, all when were they first found? Uh, they've been known for a while, but this is the first time that they've let Westerners in. So Keith will get this video posted because... Uh, it's the most important thing uh, in in uh, Mars studies, as far as I'm concerned, because these caves <clears throat> give substance to my theory that sinkholes like that, giant caves, the heavenly sinkhole, that's what it's called in China, in the Chinese word, um, that these uh, similar structures could exist on Mars uh, with water, underground rivers, and forests. Uh, that are thriving underground. So you have to see this with your own eyes to believe it. So uh, I'm going to ask Keith to put that on before or before the end of the night or after the show. However, what I'm going to talk about is an idea that I've been developing over the last few weeks uh, on this show. And it's my idea that life has been, that came from uh, outer space and that it's been migrating toward the center of the solar system that life didn't start here on Earth. As you know, and I'm sure we all agree, mankind is a very late comer to life on Earth. And I think that Keith would support me in the belief that the Anunnaki created mankind and that the Bible story is an analog or a parallel story to the Anunnaki creation story where Enki and 14 goddesses got together and mixed genetic material from uh, Homo, uh, Homo erectus, perhaps, with Anunnaki genes to produce Adamu, the first Adam, yeah, the first uh, man. You understand right. that this is all in the monuments of Mars that I wrote, God knows what, 30 years yeah, ago? Sure, sure. But the point yeah. is that Dr. Edbel Bruno, uh, top man in gravity physics at Princeton University, wrote a book, Fly Me to the Moon, and I was at the opening. I picked up the book and I read the chapter where he says that at one time, the solar system was a three-sun system that in ancient primordial times, Jupiter and Saturn were suns, and that the moon systems were thereby small planetary systems. They cooled off, and I believe that life started way out there and started migrating inward. And the next stop would have been Mars and Marduk, the planet that was the asteroid belt. The Anunnaki 
called us the seventh planet because they counted them coming in. And since I believe the Anunnaki were well, the cedars... Well, this is straight out of Sitchin. Well, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's my independent... It's straight answer. out of Sitchin. Come on, Robert. Two people can come out to the same conclusion, but I didn't read Sitchin. I read the Anunnaki scrolls from other sources. But they tell the same story. So the idea is that... Uh, my idea is that uh, reptiles evolved first and that it is very likely that... There was reptilian life on Mars, and I have, we have found some evidence. I say we, a gentleman named George John Haas, who's part of the Mars team on Facebook, found. Hey, Rob, bolted, um, I bolted, hate to interrupt you, but we're, we're into break. A, we're at the, oh, great. Hang on, but Robert. Just, we, we have a break coming up here, okay? Gosh, tonight is a really difficult time because there is so much to talk about. And we're kind of like on a countdown because I am willing to bet dollars to Navy beans that by the time July 4th, 2023 rolls around, this will all be an academic discussion because between now and then, there will be this magical event, either forced or carefully scripted. And we will know from official sources by next July 4th, that we are not alone. And then watch the fur fly, if you will. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, Sunday morning, July 3rd, one day before the 4th, the 246th anniversary of the birth of the United States. So on the 247th anniversary, 247, numbers, numbers, will we be sitting here or somewhere talking about the extraordinary unveiling of the real history of the human race, first on Mars and then on Earth? 
and all the myriad high cultures of our incredibly recent ancient past traced to a much longer, a much more amazing, a much more splendiferous legacy on the planet Mars. A planet which should not be called the god of war, but as we have seen over and over again, a planet of stunning, extraordinary, replicating, absolutely proliferating, endlessly entrancing, and now incredibly eroded art, planet of art. Are we on the threshold of finding out not only that, but that somehow there are dinosaurs in our background? Robert, please resume. Uh, Richard, you said something interesting, uh, many interesting things, I, but you said... I sometimes and, try to, yes. What was it? <laughs> but listen, you said something uh, about pianos. Where do you think we got them from? And this idea that uh, Mars should not be thought of as uh, the planet of war alone. It's interesting that the goddess Sekhmet, who has the head of a lion, she is the Egyptian goddess of war and the goddess of music, goddess of harmony. So she has that dual aspect. Now, I, I have to emphasize that I've never read a book by um, Zachariah Sitchin, but I have read a 750-page book called The Shining Ones by Christopher and Joel, Barbara Jo O'Brien, which I think is the definitive book on the Anunnaki. These people learned the, uh, the Sumerian script, and it's really well, well worth uh, purchasing, if you can get it, The Shining Ones. So... Back to my point, I believe that Mars was the original homeland of mankind and that it was populated by humanity and reptilians. And on Earth, we evolved. We all come into the world as snakes. We all come into the world as a sperm cell. And since ontogeny reproduces phylogeny, I believe (laughs) The old phrase, ontology recapitulates... Ontogeny. Yeah, ontogeny, yeah. Well, you know, we are assured by uh, brain specialists that we, at the core of our crania, cranium, is a, a reptilian brain. And that what we have and associate with humanity are outgrowths of that brain, the forebrain, the cerebrum, the cerebellum, the medulla oblongata, and that these grew over our overlays over the fundamental reptilian brain and Keith and I know this that the Anunnaki did some genetic engineering on a denizen of primordial earth and it's my belief that they are the ones that put the overlays that they are the ones that created the brain of modern man and created homo sapiens so I want to start at the bottom because if we run out of time, I'm really disappointed. So I want to go right, cut to the chase, and just uh, photo number five. This is going to blow your minds. I want you to click that on and take a look at that. Okay. That is a mesh of bolted snakeskin that has been discovered on the planet Mars by my colleague, George John Haas. Of the Mars team. Okay, this is a this is a uh, curiosity or perseverance image. Which it's uh, from 
Uh, I think it's curiosity, and I think it's from a jigapan. So, I also so why don't we have a frame number? In order to well, even talk about this, we need a okay. source. We need a NASA uh, JPL source. We need a frame number. There is a jigapan link in uh, number five. You click on that; it'll take you Wait to the jigapan. Wait a minute. I have a number. Okay. Uh, oh, right at the bottom. It's small. Okay, that's it. Okay. All so, right, so, so, so this is Neville Thompson. Okay. Yeah, Neville, oh, yes. Neville's going to be on in the next uh, couple of weeks. Right. Well, he was uh, – George John Haas was exploring this, and he found this, which to all the birds and uh, – uh, Okay, I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking at the gigapan for where this little mesh thing he, is. There's a window in the lower right. Yeah, but where is it blown up from? Well, we'll have to get John, George John Haas to uh, – Shouldn't it be in the, in the larger image? I'm sure it is. You just have to find it. So. Well, that's not – hide-and-seek is not what I like to do on live radio. Thank you. Well, so, and, and the first time I saw this, it's not the first time I've seen this, my thinking was, well, that's one of those little bags you get at the grocery store to wrap your oranges in to carry oh, them yeah, home. All right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I'll tell you where it is. Right. I found it. So found then, it. so then, I, I, hang, hang on, please, please, please. Gosh, what? guys, you're like kids in a kindergarten. If this is from Earth, this is what something from Earth on the rover would look like. If it's not, if we can establish that it's on Mars, then... A, it could be somebody's shopping bag, or B, back to Robert's thesis, it could be the discarded skin of a snake. I used to have them as pets. I know what shed snake skins look like. I just yeah. like to be able to find it on the damn larger okay, image. Just found it. You just wait a minute. I'll tell you exactly where it is. It didn't take long. It's at the bottom of the big picture, in the center, where the rubble is. Beneath that rock that's standing apart, just zoom in there. It's right there. All you have to do is look. Follow the wall up up to the right from the bottom. If it was in an uh, inverted triangle, well, you see the you see the frame. Oh wait, wait, wait! I, I see it. I see it. Okay. Okay. All right. It's right there. It's halfway right. up that rock on the right hand side of the base of the big rock. Just just before you get to the little one sitting. All by itself in the dark sand. It's, it's standing apart in the rubble in the pebbles. It's not halfway up the rock. It's right at the base. Sitting now in the, the problem rock. I have with your model, and yeah. it, it does look like it could be either a orange bag carrier or snakeskin. Organics on Mars do not last because of the ultraviolet light. Right. Right. So that's my point. My point is that there is life on Mars currently and that it exists there. Submarine. Do you see the little beautiful fossil skull just to the lower left of it within the two extensions of the bag or the skin? Yeah, right below it. Right below I'm, it. I'm right, to, look at that. It looks like I'm some kind that. of tiny primate. Well, compare that with the skull, the snake skull that I included in my pictures. Okay, Which where, where do we find the snake skull? Snake skull is number six. Okay, let me reduce this. So, Go back to... This is cool. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. They are not the same. No, no. No, no they're not the same. 
it's snake-like. There, and you know, there are various shapes of snake skulls. Some skulls. We need a paleontologist. You should be able to look at this, Rogero. You know any paleontologists? Um, no, unfortunately. I mean, as a as a medic, if you were to say that was a um, a mammalian skull. Sorry, a snake skull. The reason I I don't think it's snake is because it has binaural vision. It has stereoscopic vision. It's not. Its eyes are not to the side, and the way snakes are. So you've got a very interesting thing here that looks definitely like a skull, but it's not a reptile. Richard, why why would you expect to see the skull of a snake next to the skin? Reptiles shed their skin. Maybe if anything, we haven't established that this is a second. We haven't established this is a second. Please, you say we don't think like kids, but you talk over everybody all the time. It's my show. Thank you. Okay, well, I'll go and do mine then. I'll go and do mine. Thanks. Enjoy yours. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, back to reality. This cannot be a snakeskin unless, Robert, what you just said, which means that not only is Mars currently hospitable to present day life, Yes. But there are sidewinders running around in this damn desert. In other words, they have lied to us from the get-go about That's every true. single aspect of Mars, which is so mind-boggling because it means that you don't have just a handful of people in on the conspiracy. Everybody involved in the planetary science community, everybody yes. has to somehow yes. be keeping the secret, and humans are horrible at keeping secrets certainly of this magnitude well they've done a hell of a good job for 75 years because right now today is the anniversary of the roswell crash and i'm doing programs on that as well but going back to the the snakeskin i believe it's snakeskin i believe it's current it's not ancient and if we work our way up i'll give you a hint as to why we didn't go back to the moon those are two pictures, number four and number three, of what I call the snakes of Euctemon. It's a crater on the moon. Orbiter captured these pictures of a serpentine form creeping out from beneath or over a mechanical bar. So these are dating back to pre-Apollo days when we were mapping the moon and this is called the crater Yuktaman. If we work our way up, but I'd rather work my way down, right? Because this is important. <laughs> That's my point. Number seven, you asked me about these caves. I yes. ask you to take a look at this documentary. This is the first time America, an American team was allowed by China to enter the Heidong Cave and the Bantian Kong. Wait, wait, this is the same China that lies about landing on the moon? Yeah, yeah. Same China. But, Why are they uh, allowing us a window on our ancient history, not on Earth, if you're right, and hiding well, what they're doing on the moon? They probably got a lot of millions of dollars, and they probably want to showcase this place for tourism or any number of things. But they did allow this team of Americans and uh, a British to go there, one of these forbidden regions in Great uh, Guangdong, Canton, China, Guangdong. And these guys go in. And these caves are immense. They hang down on uh, lines as far as they go. And this first cave, the the Heidong Cave, which means black hole, Heidong, the black cave, 
is 450 meters high. And then they go into an even larger one, which is they call the, the half of the heavenly sinkhole, Tiankang, Ban, Ban Dong Tiankang, half of the Ban Dong. The other part, I guess, uh, is not explored or is still forbidden. And they go in there and they find the most unusual animals, creatures that are never seen on, uh, outside, including a hammerhead, a hammerhead worm, which nobody's ever seen before. And they captured all of this. So my point is that we do know there's water on Mars. I do believe that it went underground. About 10 years ago, NASA was uh, doing one of the Mars orbiters with uh, ground penetrating radar. And they claimed to have found a sea that was covered, a frozen sea that was covered by Martian dust, but that this sea was 125 miles long, possibly a mile deep, which is a tremendous amount of water. Well, they have the underground other... penetrating radar, both from U.S. missions. The Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter has what's called the Sherrod radar, and the European mission, the Mars Express, it has the Marsis radar. And yes, there's all kinds of underground ice all over Mars that's been detected by the radar, which was sent specifically to detect it. Yeah, can I say something real quick? Yeah, of course. Sure, go ahead. In, in one of Keith Laney's gigapans, when we did that uh, uh, presidential briefing, um, I zoomed in one, into one of these areas or behind uh, one of the boulders up on the hill, and there was a green uh, micro bubble wrap type uh, textured skin that was green and they even they sucked all the green out of the picture it was still green <laughs> and if that thing had moved we would have known but it, it's, it had to be a living creature and maybe that bubble wrap uh, texture had something to do with helping it absorb moisture from the air or something but I, I got to find that again because when you see it you're going to know it is a living, living creature it's not a rock it's not something stupid I am perfectly prepared to acknowledge that there could be current life on Mars because of the atmosphere is shrieking that what NASA has been telling us about the atmosphere has been a lie for over 50 years since Mariner 4. What I don't understand is how everybody plays and nobody leaks because humans love to leak and there are thousands of people involved with these missions one of which times the Washington Post or CNN or Fox and make a billion dollars by breaking no, they the silence. They go to jail, Richard, because they have to sign non-disclosure. No, they wouldn't. To... Trump has not gone to jail. He's not going to jail. So you don't Quite automatically go to jail. And he has nothing to do with Mars. What's your obsession with Trump? You just Please. brought in legalisms, and Trump is up to his eyebrows in legal problems. He's not. Has nothing to do with this. Why why are you Trump people so incredibly sensitive? I can't mention Donald Trump on my own show because I'm saying just because it's in law doesn't mean it will operate in practice. Well, then quote Clarence Thomas or Judge Roberts. Stop bringing up Trump. You have an obsession with the guy. Because I mean, he's sent him, up because I, because I sent him a presidential briefing, and he totally ignored it. Totally. Okay, so you have a grudge against him. No, I okay. have a grudge against a president who didn't take the throttle and change history the way it should have been changed. He created the Space Force. 
He started the uh, the Artemis uh, trip to the moon again. He got that funded. What are you talking about, man? Your hatred of Trump is... It's not is hatred. I'm just telling you. Yes, it is. He, no, That's it's not. Hatred. I do not hate Trump. I don't hate anybody. Sorry to gang up on you, Richard, but it's just, yeah, it's just, it's not relevant. It is totally relevant. He was in charge. He was in charge of the U.S. space program. NASA serves at the pleasure. He created the Space Force. No. Yes, he did. NASA was already, there already was a Space Force in the Air Force. Space Command. Go go check it out. Exactly. And then then he migrated it to eventually over seven years, six years, its own agency. Fine. Why? Why do we Gentlemen, suddenly need a space force? Do something with your, your, your piece? Because the Democrats ganged up to sabotage his administration. You got four years of lies every day from CNN, and you bought it all. You drank the Kool-Aid, and you're still enraged with your grudge, and you hate something. I have nothing Donald to do with rage. I want to know why he didn't take unity to make history, make himself immortal, he, and change the planet. He did the opportunity. No, he didn't. Before we go to he Mars, we got to go to the moon. Before we go to Mars, we've got to go to the moon. So he funded the Artemis program. There already was a program called by George Bush. Remember, um, I, I, I forget the name of the two rockets and all that. And it was so expensive it had to be canceled. He resurrected out of the uh, uh, you know the uh, shuttle the technology um, to go back to the moon on a slightly smaller scale, but that was work already in progress when he became okay, can president. Can we go back to Mars? You know, you're beating a dead horse. Gentlemen, can I, can I interrupt and yes, just break this yes. section up? Because I think I'm going to miss a vital piece of evidence that uh, I've put on. It kind of relates to, to Robert's um, work, but um, it was also about what you asked to discuss last week on astrobiology. Um, so I went to the Mars flower. The coral. My image number five. Number five. Oh, thank you. And then my sketch number six, and then a, if you want to call it a, a, a historical record from the British Museum of a of a dead coral from uh, by Charles Darwin, which he exhibited. And if you want to zoom in on all three. Uh, my, my sketch has like got some artist interpretation on it, but uh, it is a it's a overlay, so I traced it just to bring. Oh, it. it's exquisite! Thank you. So you think this is a coral, and if we follow Robert's model, it's a coral that was alive very very recently, right, Robert? Uh, uh, no, I think it's a fossil of a coral, and if it is a coral, I mean Mars claim that it's. Um, caused by winds and uh i believe and just formations of particles coming together which you do see on a beach you'll see sand uh, by bind together but this is so similar to the uh, naturally occurring coral that i i can't tell it apart when i look with the resolution of the current folks mm-hmm. i think that seasonal flooding on mars <clears throat> and when uh, richard and i discussed this originally hypothesized that a plant or a coral or a plant could have a viscous surface that would protect itself by catching sand and the, and catching sand to create a ship that would preserve its moisture and give it time to penetrate with deep roots to tap 
submarine liquid, submarine water. I'd like to go back to finish my point about the, um, the Anunnaki and the reptilian origins of the human race, basically. And it goes to the Anunnaki figure number one. This picture was around for a very, very long time, but it was always darkened below the shoulder. And in this picture, you can see for the first time that this reptilian-headed female is actually suckling a child. And I think this gives us hint that... Oh, my God, Robert. We don't have a lot of time. But do you want me to point you to an identical figure that, that Perseverance has photographed on Mars that I've been waiting for someone to see other than me? Sure, I'd love to see and it. no and one has the, seen it yet. Well, we're going to have to like continue it to next week because we're basically out of time. That if you compare the head of this being with the monoliths that Ron displayed about two weeks ago. Yeah, where the so-called balanced rock is. They were on top of a cliff, is what I was thinking. This is the exact same shape of the head mm. and the oblong eye that I recognized in Ron's uh, black and white uh, yep. close-up. Yep. Yep. And furthermore, if you look at another angle image from Percy of the so-called balanced rock and those other figures, the monoliths and all the other, you know, the, 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 the dragon or the dinosaur sticking out of the cliff, um, right. That figure in profile looks like this character, and yes. the, and what we think of as the balanced rock, it appears mm-hmm. to be her head, but it's been smashed, indicating maybe a revolt, a revolt, possibly a war between humans. Yes, exactly. Now this is incredibly speculative, but all right, we have to go to my final item because I promised everybody and I'll be the guy that will have to pay it if, uh, if we don't. All right. You want to go to my items again, get out of this section, go back to uh, uh, links to items, click on mine, go down to the last two images, which are 12 and 13. 12 is this uh, pan that was taken on, uh, I think, Saul 409 looking west to the north of the uh, um, uh, temple, butte, Kodiak, whatever you want to call it. At the very bottom, someone's making a lot of noise. Mute your mic, please. At the very bottom, right next to where it says the Enterprise mission, you'll see a little object. Now, you won't be able to make out much, but if you go to number 13, what does that look like to you? Looks like a monkey head. We're talking about the dark thing on the left-hand side of the bottom of the yeah. frame. The only yeah. thing in the frame. Well, there's something it, on the right, but... It looks like one of those enclosed motorcycle things they use to set speed records. Exactly. It's a vehicle. It's a vehicle, unquestionably. Look at the rounded well, like, curves. Look well, at... I like it is the vehicle in, in the previous photograph, which it looks like a, a 1947 white Rolls Royce <laughs> driving away. Yeah, the, the, the one up in the upper left. Of, yeah, that's it. Yeah, at the base. There are, there the are base. lots of vehicles on these images. You just have to know where to look. Yeah, that's a pretty nice. In fact, this looks like two. It looks like you've got one in the front hiding 
the one at another angle behind it. And for that to happen by chance is impossible. So NASA very carefully positioned Percy so it could photograph this object so you couldn't disentangle two separate vehicles. But the, but the far one, the one behind, it looks like that's a large wheel with a trunnion, which is what you use for a motorcycle. Right. Wow. Maybe it's a Zamboni. <laughs> well, it's something that could come right out of any modern showroom today, which means we need to reassess, I guess, just everything. Because not only, Robert, are we or were we created maybe by another species, but maybe yeah. our whole culture, our whole imprint of how we view the world, what we think of as important what we buy in the supermarket, maybe we're just recapitulating previous eras when we did all this before, except it was another planet known as Mars. Right. Knowledge may be imprinted in our DNA and it's uh, percolating up. I just want to know, how do you get thousands of people in NASA looking at all this data and not one of them Calls a press conference. Not one. I think they're scared. I think they're frightened. People die. You know, Robert, 20 years ago, they tried to kill me, and I'm still here, okay? Uh, Well, you are here, but others aren't. There's a whole long list of microbiologists and doctors and scientists. But out of thousands, there should be one. One. We're running out of runway. I know. Okay. Okay, we will continue this obviously next Saturday. No, I'm sorry, we can't do it Saturday because I've got uh, a very special uh, guest on Saturday. I think we're going to have Scott Walter. So we might have to skip a week and do it the following weekend um, unless we can do it on Sunday the 10th. I will, I'll know later in the week. Just watch the banners on the other side of midnight. So until then, I mean, I'm sorry to kind of leave all these victories up in the air, but that's the way science really is. You have to follow the data wherever it leads, and sometimes it leads in the most incredible, surprising, and astonishing directions. So until next week, same time, same bat channel, actually tomorrow night, Sunday night, when I have Steve Bassett and Georgia and uh, Barbara Honiger, and boy, are we going to have an intriguing conversation And I will bet you dollars to Navy beans that the world president, Donald Trump, comes up. So until tomorrow night, same same, same bat channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.